Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very spooky episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss movies, comics, TV shows, video games, and all manner of geek and pop culture to see what we can make of it. I am Chris Anna. With me, of course, is my co-host, Brian Brecker. How are you doing in this Halloween season, Brian? Bleh! I'm doing pretty good. That was a pretty good Bell Lugosi impersonation you just did there. Thank you. Apparently, there was a time on the radio where Bell Lugosi did sing the Monster Mash. However, sadly, that has been lost to time. Okay, are we talking about the the song we know as the Monster Mash, or yes. the okay, yes, because technically speaking, you know, none of us have ever actually heard the Monster Mash. We've only ever heard the song about the Monster Mash. That's true. They did yeah. the monster mash, or as nerds would say, they did the monster math, and it was a graveyard graph. It was a graveyard graph. So, Chris, today we're going to be talking about three spooky, spoopy movies, Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2, and Ghostbusters Answer the Call slash Ghostbusters 2016 slash Ghostbusters. Yes! Now, which movie should we talk about first? Well, of course, we got to start with the original Ghostbusters, the one that started it all. I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies and probably my all-time favorite comedy ever. And it is a Halloween tradition of mine. I try to watch this every year. I have always loved Ghostbusters. Um, I think it's definitely one of the best films Bill Murray was ever involved in. Uh, it's based off of, you know, yeah. the comedic talents that are so integral of Harold Ramis and Bill Murray. Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman, yes. uh, and who were all involved with the creative production of the film. Originally, it was actually going to be a lot more high concept than it became. It was a project with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Right. And it was about them like traveling through time and space to fight various supernatural forces. And then John Belushi uh, sadly died. And mm -hmm. also the actual concept was deemed financially impractical. So then you decided to make it a people make their own business story. And that's how we got Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's how we got the movie we all know and love, which opens on the iconic library scene. I like how this movie almost kind of tricks you into thinking it's a horror movie in the first opening scene. Yeah, I like that the library scene is like it leg is legitimately ominous and actually has a certain level of atmosphere. Yeah, so a librarian is putting away some books and is walking around the hall, 
and then she uh, ends up seeing some things that are out of place. She turns around and she sees a spooky ghost and it screams at her. And then originally, if they didn't have the intro music, the upbeat intro music, you would think this was a horror movie. But then... And the Ghostbusters theme comes in, of course, iconic. It's one of the best theme songs ever to any film. Absolutely. Yeah, so we open on Peter Venkman, who is conducting a very bizarre and highly unethical parapsychology experiment in which he delivers electroshocks to a man or a woman, theoretically, if they don't guess correctly what the back of the cards are that he's not showing them. But of course, because Peter is a huckster, he just gives electric shocks to the male kid no matter what because he wants to torture him, apparently. And keeps giving it to the girl even though she gets them all wrong. Yeah, because he wants to get with the girl. My favorite part is when he holds up a card and it's a bunch of wavy lines and then the guy says, it's a bunch of wavy lines? And then he says, I'm sorry, this is just not your day. And he shocks him anyway. (laughs) So the guy gets mad, of course. And we get a funny scene where um, he's like, what are you even trying to prove here anyway? I'm trying to prove the effects of negative reinforced in ESP ability. Effect? I'll tell you what the effect is. It's pissing me off. So then he uh, comforts the girl trying to obviously, you know, get in her pants and says, some people will not respect your abilities. They're scared of what they don't understand. Peter Venkman is a huckster, Charles Xavier. (laughs) Yes. So what happens next? All right, so then we are introduced to our three main scientist characters. Um, After Peter, we are then introduced to Ray Stance, played by Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd's amazing. Yeah, an enthusiastic paranormal investigator. So uh, fun fact about uh, Dan Aykroyd, for those of you who don't know. So Dan Aykroyd, in addition to being, you know, famous comedian, SNL performer, renowned vodka salesman. Doesn't he also believe in the Crystal Skull conspiracy theory? Well, yeah, that's part of where the vodka comes from. He's got Crystal Skull vodka. Um, Greetings, I'm Dan Aykroyd. Welcome to Crystal Head University. We have won the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, the double gold medal. Again, through Herkimer Diamonds. Herkimer diamonds are semi-precious crystals. They bubble up to the top of the ground in two places on the planet, anomalously. Uh, These beautiful semi-precious crystals, we get the the white ones, the satin white ones, and we put them in a cone and we pour our vodka through there that you can enhance if you freeze your head. If I am making a 1958 Long Island Railroad Don Draper Madison Avenue classic bar car martini, do I want citrus in there? No. I don't want citrus oil in there. I don't want citrus in there. I'm going to add white vermouth. I'm going to add a little splash of olive juice. I'm going to add a pearl cocktail onion and a couple of olives. Get a squeezer. Get tangerines, clementines, tangelos. Squeeze them and pour that in there. It should look like an egg yolk is just infusing uh, the liquid in the glass. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd turned into Pete Venkman in real life. (laughs) You're not wrong. But putting that aside, uh, he is uh, self-diagnosed autistic. And he has said that his autism helped to influence both the creation of Ghostbusters itself as well as his performance as Ray. And looking at this through the eyes of an actually autistic person like myself, it definitely shines through. And Ray Stance is quite honestly one of the most authentic autistic characters I've seen in any movie. He's great. He's the best. Hashtag we stand stance. Yes. And then we're also introduced to Egon, who's uh, who's the textbook nerd. I like the part where they discuss the uh, the mold, the spores, the mold spores that sh- switch places. They like <laughs> moved around and that was considered like a paranormal event. Yeah. I found that very funny. 
So they tell them about the event in the library, right? Yes. And uh, that they, somebody had spotted a ghost. So then they all go to find the ghost, and they end up seeing it, and they don't have any plan. Yeah, they come into the library with pretty much no plan. <laughs> it eventually just boils down to, like, all right, get her! <laughs> and they just sort of jump out. Get her, Ray. <laughs> yeah, get her, Ray. And then they all run so, away. <laughs> because the ghost got all creepy and scary at them. Yeah. So they run away. And Pete Venkman is, of course, making fun of the great genius plan of Getter. But then they all talk about, you know, oh, this was like such a great development. And they go back to their little area in the Columbia University. And then Dean Yeager comes in and is tells them that their grant has run out and that they're being kicked out of the establishment because, you know, they're paranormal scientists, which isn't really a field. It's kind of like it's not a thing. You know, it's it's niche at best. And he completely dresses down Peter Venkman. He says, Dr. Venkman, we believe that the purpose of science is to serve mankind. You, however, seem to regard science as some kind of dodge or hustle. Your theories are the worst kind of popular tripe. Your methods are sloppy and your conclusions are highly questionable. You are a poor scientist, Dr. Venkman. And you have no place in this department. Or in this university. But the children love us. <laughs> yeah, but the kids love us. <laughs> yeah. So then they uh, have to, you know, pack up all their things. And Peter Venkman gets the idea to start a business. And he says, you know, I this is good that this happened. Everything happens for yeah, a reason. He's fate. talking to Ray. Call it karma. I believe everything happens for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they decide to go into the private sector and make their own ghost busting business yeah so they start looking for uh places to headquarters and they come across the this firehouse the now iconic firehouse it's like an abandoned firehouse yeah this is abandoned firehouse and egon has this whole great rant about how about like how it's like structurally and sound <laughs> i think this building should be condemned there's serious metal fatigue in all the load-bearing members the wiring is substandard it's completely inadequate for our power needs and the neighborhood is like a demilitarized zone. <laughs> and, and seeming, almost as an attempt to try and bargain with the, with the real estate agent. But then mm -hmm. Ray, who's off doing his own thing, is just like, guys, you got to try this pole. <laughs> this is this great. place is great. When can we move when in? When can we move in? So they decide to take a lease out in the place. And then they end up getting their car, which, of course, they would later uh, turn into the Ecto-1. It's a 1959 Cadillac Miller Meteor Ambulance. And they have a really funny line where they're like, oh, it needs new brake pads, new brake lights, new transmission fluid. It goes off on a bunch of stuff that they're going to need to fix the car with. Um, they end up hiring Janine Melnitz, uh, played by Annie Potts to handle the phones and do the clerical work. And then Dana Barrett comes to the Ghostbusters and asks for their help because yeah. she had an incident with her eggs and her ice box. Because when she opened yeah. the ice box, there was this demon dog in there that said, Zoom, yeah, she finds a she finds a hell dimension in her refrigerator. Uh, don't mm -hmm. you just hate when that happens? <laughs> yeah. So Peter seizes the opportunity because he is now romantically interested in Dana because any woman that approaches him or gets within 100 feet of him, he is immediately attracted to. Yeah. And then decides that he's going to go to Dana's apartment to check her out. Yeah. Or I'm going to go to her apartment to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Dana directs him towards the kitchen. He has the little ghost sniffer thing. He looks around the room and he can't find anything. He looks inside the ice box and he says, wow. 
look at all the junk look food. Look at all this junk food. And she's like, it was there. And I heard a voice say Zool. And I like how she's all like, uh, no, either I have a monster in my kitchen or I'm completely crazy. Now, Vankman, of course, is playing his own little game because he goes off on this entire pitch to her about how he is madly in love with her. Which, you know, this kind of interaction doesn't really hold up that well nowadays. It's kind of like creepy yeah, male little, behavior. it's a little iffy. Yeah. And to be fair, I don't necessarily think the movie is endorsing the behavior. No, I think we're yeah. supposed to think Peter Venkman is a is a creep, but yeah. a kind of lovable creep. It's just the idea of a lovable creep has become more has become hard to like, define nowadays. Mm -hmm. Generally, I think Peter Venkman's character is really... It comes from a source of insecurity that he doesn't think that he deserves better. So he acts in ways that just make him look bad constantly, you know? Yeah. So he just... If he, if, he doesn't, if he doesn't play the game, he can't lose. I think that's Venkman's philosophy towards life. That's true. Dana is like, that's very nice. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> So she escorts him out, and then we get introduced to Lewis, and Lewis is yeah. Dana's next door neighbor. Chris, what do you think of Lewis? I fucking love Lewis Tully. <laughs> Lewis Tully is a fantastic character. He's an accountant, and also in Ghostbusters 2, we find out that he is a tax lawyer. They go into a little bit of that in the first movie because there's talk about how he gets, how he like tries to make sure everything is like tax deductible. Yeah, and he's going after Dana, and he's he also is interested in Dana, and yep. he's talking about his mineral water and how he's gonna have a party a couple days from now. I'll take a rain check on that. I always have plenty of low sodium mineral water and other nutritious foods in the house, but you already know that. Yeah, I know that. Listen, that reminds me, you shouldn't leave your TV on so loud when you go out. The creep down the hall phone the manager. Oh, that's strange. I didn't realize I left it on. Oh, yeah, you know what I did? I climbed on the ledge and tried to disconnect the cable, but I couldn't get in. So, you know what I did? I turned up my TV real loud, too, so everyone would think that Bye, both our TVs had something wrong with them. He's just really kind of pathetic, but in kind of like a cute, nerdy way. He's very neurotic. <laughs> Rick Moranis is just absolutely fantastic in this performance. He's great in Spaceballs also. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see if he's ever going to come back to acting. Well, he, hasn't he did done do so that one. Um, he did recently. He did a commercial with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, that's interesting. I heard he might do a Honey Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, again. that's the other thing. I heard they might be getting him back for the Honey, I Shrunk the Kid reboot, like a sequel thing yeah. on Disney+. Plus. So they are now back at their headquarters and they are eating Chinese food. Yeah, because what they spent the last of their petty cash on. <laughs> so Janine uh, gets a call from a client and so she rings the alarm bell and it's at a hotel yeah. and the hotel has Slimer yes. there and Slimer is wreaking havoc and they uh, are about to go up the elevator when they pass by a guy and the guy is obviously like very weirded out by these men in extremely weird science fiction exterminator yeah. gear. Yeah, and the, he just... <laughs> They just say, well, we're exterminators, which is not an incorrect assessment. Yeah. Because the Ghostbusters basically are blue collar exterminators. It's just the things they are exterminating are ghosts. <laughs> exactly. So they go up and they start testing unlicensed yeah, each nuclear accelerators in the elevator. accelerator on his back. <laughs> and when they turn it on, they all like go into the corner of the elevator in case it explodes. Yes. So they go up and uh, they uh, see somebody coming by. So they shoot at her, but it turns out to just be a maid. And my favorite thing is that when they're done, there's like something on fire in the background and she's using like the water spray to try and get the fire. Yeah, she's using the Windex, which, which apparently does actually. <laughs> Actually work <laughs> i guess so apparently yeah. i mean we've seen it we've seen it in this movie yeah. so they end up looking for slimer and uh, peter venkman gets slimed <laughs> he slimed he slimed great. me that's great actual physical contact so then what happens is they trace 
Slimer back to a ballroom. Of course, they promise to be discreet with this client, despite the fact that they are now destroying everything in sight to try and capture this ghost, even to the point where Peter Bankman just for some reason decides that he wants to do the tablecloth yeah, trick. Yeah, he does the tablecloth trick. Is the, and the flowers are still standing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they capture the ghost. It was their first ever ghost busting. And uh, they end up getting $5,000 for that, their normal rate. And they're having a special on capture, which will only come to $1,000. So that comes to $5,000 total. And the guy is like, I won't pay that. That's too expensive. Well, we could just, all right, then we'll just go and put this back. (laughs) So then uh, he pays them. And then we get a montage, of course, of the Ghostbusters becoming successful businessmen, going all across New York, helping out with all the ghosts. We get Larry King. Yeah, Larry King. How is Elvis? And have you seen him lately? (laughs) And um, this is when Larry King was an ancient, which I know is a hard thing to remember. I know. This was back when Larry King was famous for being a talk show host and not for that one really hilarious Sonic the Hedgehog impression. This is hello your 150th there. episode. Hello, hello, hello. That's great. Hello, I'm just a hedgehog. That's... No, one, no one cares about me. Okay. And also, I'd like to point out that also during this montage, Ray appears to uh, receive a ghost blowjob. And yes. Well, it's in his dream that he gets a ghost blowjob because, in fact, he is becoming rich off of ghosts. It's like getting a blowjob from a ghost, I assume, metaphorically. I'd also, this is also where I'd like to remind everyone that this movie is rated PG. Yes. <laughs> um, so what happens next is they have to hire a new member and we get to meet Ernie Hudson. Uh, who plays Winston Zeddemore. You believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis. If there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. <laughs> yeah, so they get the interest of Walter Peck, who is played by William Atherton. And he's from the Environmental Protection Agency, and he comes to the firehouse to try and inspect the storage facility. But Venkman's like, I don't really think you should do that. And then Walter Peck is like, well, I can come back here with a warrant to do it. And then Pete Venkman's like, yeah, why don't you do that? Because Pete Venkman has an issue with authority. Yeah, it's like, I'm not going to let you do it because you did not because you did not use the magic word. <laughs> I also like, so I also, this is of course where they get the iconic bit where they're talking about how the storage facility works and they pull out the Twinkie. Yes. It's like, imagine this Twinkie, it's ever expand. It's like, that's a big Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> that Twinkie is all of the spectral uh, activity in the New York area. That's a lot of, that's a big Twinkie. One night, Dana enters her apartment and is talking on the phone with her mother because Venkman had previously uh, orchestrated a date with her uh, when she was out meeting with one of her orchestra orchestra people, who is a, a stiff, puts little nasal sniffs in his nose. <laughs> I forget his name. He, she goes home and she's undressing and stuff and her mom calls and she's like, no, I have a date because Peter Venkman got her to say yes to a date. But then she is attacked by a sofa chair. Yeah, she's attacked by a bunch of arms. Yeah, that come out of a sofa chair. And it's honestly a pretty scary scene. Uh, The sofa then turns and the door swings open and a devil dog thing is there. And she is forced in and now she becomes Zul, the gatekeeper of Gozer. And she now looks absolutely fabulous. Yeah. As a demon. Very fabulous. Um, what happens next? All right, so then we cut to Lewis Tully's party where he's only brought Oh my clients. god, I, I love Lewis Tully's party. Where he deducted off his taxes. That's why that's why I brought clients instead of friends. And also <laughs> when he brings out like, Do you have any do you have any aspirin? 
Oh yeah, I'm just, just, I could get 600 tablets of that for the price, same price as 300 of the name brand. <laughs> it's a really good deal. My favorite part of this scene um, is when uh, one of the a blonde woman who has like really big chesticles, um, she uh, is like, "I want to leave," and then he's like, "Come on, let's dance," and then she's like okay so then they start <laughs> dancing um and then he gets some more guests to come in and he's like oh they have like ten thousand dollars on their house and this has an interest rate of eight percent so they're doing okay hey. yeah. hey anybody want to play some parts easy <laughs> um and then he hears a rumbling outside I mean, rumbling like, like in the in the coat closet okay who brought the dog <laughs> so one of the devil dogs comes out and chases lewis tully all across new york and then um he gets attacked outside a new york restaurant and there's a great sight gag where we're from the inside of the fancy restaurant. It's a fancy restaurant. And Lewis is being attacked by the devil dog, and uh, he gets, he starts like falling down, pressed against the glass, screaming his head off, and everybody looks over. Everybody just, everybody like looks up for a second. Just to be like, hmm, that's kind of odd. And then they just go back to their food. Which is the most New York thing to ever happen in a movie. You're not wrong. Um, so now he is possessed by Vince Clortho, Vince the key Clortho, master. The key master of Gozer. Now, key master, gatekeeper. You can tell that this is a sexual analogy. It's, it's got a lot of innuendo there. Vince Clortho, a.k.a. Louis Tully, stumbles around Central Park and he harasses a bunch of people. He says a bunch of apocalyptic shit to him and then his eyes glow red and he's like, man, what an asshole. You will perish in flame! <laughs> and then he starts talking to the horse. Are you the gatekeeper? Are you the gatekeeper? We will come back. So the next day, Walter Peck, accompanied with an officer, uh, obtained a court order to shut down the containment grid. Yeah. So, and the thing about Walter Peck in this movie is that he is an asshole, but he's like 100% morally and legally in the right. Right. There's maybe an interpretation of this movie that it could be a small business-esque Reagan kind of conservative capitalist movie. Like, I don't... That I, only goes so far as if you were to be a person that already thinks that the EPA is evil. And yeah, and it and also... kills businesses. Only, and it also only really works if you assume that all blue-collar workers are conservative. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So, Walter Peck, is he is played magnificently as just this horrible asshole. And he's like, shut this down, shut this all down. Shut, shut these off, shut these all off. <laughs> and uh, then they're like, you know, if you shut this off, there's going to be a huge problem. And then uh, Walter is like, no, you you got to fucking do it. So mm. the guy shuts off the grid. And then we have, do you believe it's magic, magic? All the ghosts escape into yeah. New York City. I almost forgot. I, I want to know. So before that, uh, Louis Tully as Vince Clortho. Uh, he goes into the Ghostbusters, like, obtain him. And yes. he starts going off on this rant about the various forms uh, Gozer took. Gozer the Traveler. He will come in one of the pre-chosen forms. During the rectification of the Valdrani, the Traveler came as a large and moving torb. Then, during the third reconciliation of the last of the McKetrick supplicants, they chose a new form for him, that of a giant slore. Many shubs and zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day, I can tell you. I just, I really want to know what a slore is. I'm very curious. <laughs> a giant slore. Yeah, so the ghost army gets unleashed. And there's a yeah yeah there's a montage of the ghosts wreaking havoc all I across love the New York City. Cab driver. <laughs> yes, that's great. And then Peck orders the Ghostbusters be arrested, and uh, the ghosts create a panic. And while waiting in jail, 
the team recognizes that Dana's apartment was a huge superconductive antenna for different ghost and paranormal activity. The architect was either a certified genius or a complete wacko. No one ever built it like this. <laughs> and uh, all I like how all the prisoners in there with him at the same time are all just interested in what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like they have nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah, so then what they do is uh, the mayor, played by David Margulies, who shows up in Ghostbusters 2, orders the release of the Ghostbusters from jail, and he has a conversation with them about the yeah. events. They explain what's going to happen. So, uh, released from jail by the dad from Family Matters, who is also the black cop from Die Hard. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he is. And he's like, they're trying to explain to the mayor what's going to happen if they can't fight these ghosts. And he says, you know, Old Testament, real wrath of God type stuff. Cats and dogs living yeah, human together. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. And I love the part when the cardinal comes in. And yeah, the, the cardinal, the cardinal comes, in. Uh, comes in. He says, now the church will make no official statement on the nature of this phenomenon. <laughs> but if you want my answer, Lenny, I think it's a statement from God. I think it's a statement. But don't quote me on don't that. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I also uh, love their, when they're confronting Walter Peck. So, you know, the whole operation was ruined by Dickless here. This true. This man has no dick. <laughs> and then this is my favorite part is when um, he says... If, you, if it doesn't work, then we'll go back to jail quietly, easily. But if it does happen, Lenny, you would have saved the lives of millions, millions of registered voters. Of registered voters. And then we cut to the cardinal, and yeah. the cardinal has this political Machiavellian <laughs> smile on his face like, yeah, he's got it right. Yeah, and then uh, Mayor Lenny is like, get him out of here. So Peter Venkman says that he's going to need the army to help them. Yeah. And uh, so they go to Park West and they are too late to prevent the possessed Dana and Lewis from completing the ritual for the coming of Gozer. Now the Ghostbusters reach the hidden part of the building. Uh, the possessed Dana and Lewis open a dimensional gate at the top of the building and yeah. are transformed into the terror dog forms of their possessors. Yes. I'm reading from the Wakia here. Sorry. <laughs> they take the position besides Gozer's temple and the Ghostbusters stare in shock. So they yeah. uh, get to the building and they yeah, have so they to get walk to the up the building. A they, they get paraded out like heroes. Everybody's cheering. It's like, yeah, we're going to save the day. We're amazing. Hard <laughs> cut to them just exhausted climbing <laughs> the fucking stairs. I like I like the um the the Jews that are there and they're all holding up signs and stuff being like the end is nigh or and some Christians are like repent or something like repent. that. But once the Ghostbuster comes in, the Jews and the Christians all plot. And even Winston earlier in the movie, yeah, it's like you know, do you believe in God? Never met him. And they talk about how like you know maybe the reason there are so many ghosts around is because you know, this is the point where the dead will rise from the grave and the end of the yeah. world. Which reminds me of a, a quote from Dawn of the Dead. He used to tell us, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk there. Uh, that reminds me of that quote from Dawn of the Dead. My favorite quote from that scene was uh, when Winston Zeddemore says, I like Jesus's style. I like <laughs> Jesus's style. <laughs> He's a cool That's guy. a great scene because it's just uh, a moment of reflection. Uh, between two guys that don't really have a bigger picture than anybody else on how this all works. Yeah. And that's what's kind of funny about the whole thing is how cavalier and casual they treat the whole concept of supernatural ghosts and ghostbusting. The thing about Ghostbusters that I think is very appealing is, is that it's one of those finding the mundane and the fantastical. 
Yeah. It's kind of humor because, yeah, you know, ghosts are real and there's all this supernatural stuff and demons and all that. But at the end of the day, they are kind of just blue collar exterminators and, you know, regular ass human beings. <laughs> yeah. So they get to the top and they see Gozer. They see Gozer. And, well, well, they see Zul as the dog. And, yeah. and Peter's like, okay, so she's, she's a, a dog. dog. <laughs> and I love, absolutely love the design of Gozer's outfit. She or they is kind of like this androgynous deity. It's really cool. And Gozer asks, are you, are you a, a god? god? No? no. Yeah, because, well, because after, because they confront Gozer. It's like, go yeah. get her, Ray. And Ray's like, you are inviolate by the authority of the state of New York. I ask you to immediately return to your place of origin or the nearest convenient parallel dimension. <laughs> Someone asks if you are a god, you say yes! So Gozer the Destroyer then tells them that she is going to create a beast that will destroy all of New York City, but they have to choose, choose the, the form, form of the Destroyer. Destructor. It's like, all right, yeah. I see where it's going. So if we think of J. Edgar Hoover... Jagger Hoover's gonna come down and destroy us all. All right, just just keep your minds blank so they think of don't think of anything except for Ray, who like, accidentally thinks of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. <laughs> it's so a giant marshmallow man starts kaijuing New York City. Although honestly, I think that 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 also further adds into the autistic reading because yeah. yeah as an autistic person, being told not to think of anything, yeah, I probably would think of something random and out of nowhere, like a marshmallow mascot. So, uh, he starts going around, and he's stop stomping on all this stuff, and he stomps on a church, and Peter Venkman's like, nobody steps What's on, on a church, church in my town! Oh, I'd also like to point out <laughs> that the reason Ray thinks of this is Stay Puft is because he wanted to think of something that, that could never possibly hurt us, and he thinks yes. about how they would roast Stay Puft marshmallows at Camp Wakanda, and I'm like, wait a minute, Ray went to camp with Black Panther? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> This race has several questions. They try and destroy the Marshmallow Man with their proton beams, but it doesn't work. Yeah. So then they get the idea. Oh, I which, love, oh yeah, and during Which this was, point, of course, planted earlier in the film. Yeah. To cross the beams and destroy the gateway. Cross the streams to create total protonic reversal. And yes. I also love the line, this is one of my favorite quotes in the whole movie, where as they're trying to formulate what they're supposed to do, Peter's like, oh, we're going about this the wrong way. He's a sailor. He's in New York. We get this guy laid. We won't have any more problems. <laughs> and when they talk about how they're all going to die with the cross the beams plan, uh, Peter Venkman's like, I like this plan. I'm happy to be a proud of it. <laughs> so they cross the beams and they destroy the gateway and the marshmallow man disintegrates and gets shaving cream all over everywhere because it was actually shaving cream. Uh, yeah, it's actually shaving cream, but you know, in universe, it's probably marshmallow fluff. <laughs> One of the actors on set actually had a horrible allergic reaction to the shaving cream. Oh no. Yeah. They wake up and they realize they're not dead and um, Venkman sees Zool still has become like this stone concrete dog and he's very sad until parts start falling apart and then he realizes oh my god dana's inside dana and dana's and alive Lewis Tully. and so is lewis yeah dana and lewis are yeah it's like we're the, we're the ghostbusters who does your taxes <laughs> so everybody's happy they go out everybody applauds i love I this town <laughs> and lewis is like who's going to interview me guys <laughs> And that's basically how the movie ends. Yeah, we did it. We mm -hmm. saved the world. And we are played off by the, of course, the iconic Ghostbusters theme song. Ba -da 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 -da. 
Chris, what do you think of Ghostbusters? I love it. It's I think it still really holds up to this day. I think it works as a great sort of supernatural movie. It's a great comedy. It's a great Halloween movie. It's and I think I you know I try to watch it every year. It's a big part of my Halloween tradition. But you know it's a movie that can work anytime. I feel and I agree. Yeah, I love it to pieces. I like Ghostbusters a lot. It kind of is in that realm of like science fiction horror family stuff. In there with like poltergeist, but Ghostbusters is also, I think, a lot more original and funny than most other like sci fi, horror, supernatural stuff because it's primarily a comedy, I think. Yes. The horror stuff is mostly secondary. Yeah, it's set dressing in a lot of ways. Yes. And Ghostbusters, the genius of it is how it underplays the really disbelievable aspects of it, the really unbelievable aspects of it. And plays up the stuff that we can relate to building your own business you know go becoming employed getting out of college you know yeah and it's that stuff that allows the supernatural stuff to eventually continue to escalate to the point where we can believe in a giant marshmallow man yeah. uh destroying new york city exactly ghostbusters is fantastic yeah. And it is a classic, and it continues to endure. Uh, if there is a problem with it, Peter Venkman's attitudes towards women. It's a little, little outdated. Maybe a little yeah. outdated. But besides that, it's a really great movie. And I think we should start talking about Ghostbusters 2. Oh, boy. Um, okay, so Ghostbusters 2 is... I'm not going to say it's an awful movie. It's okay. But I also think, hot take, it is the weakest movie in the entire franchise. I said it. I stand by it. I apologize for nothing. I would disagree with you. Ghostbusters 2016, I think, is the worst movie in the franchise. I like 2016, and we'll get into Um, why I personally think that's better when we get to Ghostbusters 2 starts five years later. They zoom in on a crack in the concrete where pink goo is coming up, which is probably a reference to the movie The Blob from the 1950s that's a possibility um dana has had a baby in the, in the yeah. intervening years with a man that she was married to but that left her not peter vankman her relationship with peter vankman ended which they also had an entirely separate falling out unrelated to the baby which yes feels kind of like a pointless plot addition but it- okay fine Ugh. the baby carriage starts to roll on its own from dana and into traffic hmm. and um she finally gets a hold of the baby and then we get the title sequence and the ecto-1 is parked outside of a house now one of the things that's kind of weird about this movie is that everybody in the intervening years has come to disbelieve in ghosts and i know you dislike this but i think of it as kind of just like eh. It's fine if you just ignore the logic of it. I you know? really don't like it. It's just, it's one of, to me, this plot point is one of the most obnoxious and infuriating nonsensical plot points in any sequel. Wherein, in the intervening five years, the city of New York has just decided that they don't believe any of the stuff in the original Ghostbusters actually happened. Even though there was pl- ample physical and video evidence of you know a literal ghost army the hell temple demon dogs the uh Chris, the zombie cab drivers. are you seriously not believing that people would not believe things with evidence okay yeah but it would be a fringe thing it would be a fringe cons- it, there would be fringe conspiracy theories about how it was a hoax certainly but like everyone just universally saying nah didn't happen like well, that gets into the theme of the movie which is that um, it's about the moral worth of New York City 
Ghostbusters 2 is more about New York City as a whole than even the original Ghostbusters was because it's about an undercurrent of pink goo that has started to latch on to the psychic negative energy of everyone in the city. So, in a sense, them rejecting the Ghostbusters is a larger metaphor for the fall from grace of the New York moral character. Okay, here's the thing. You could have done that without doing the stupid nobody believes them anymore. If you wanted to do a plot plot point where people don't respect the Ghostbusters anymore, what you could have done... I think that is mostly done, what it is. I mean, it's mostly like, what it is, but the idea... But the, but the whole idea of them forgetting, is, I think, is the problem. What you could have I done... I think it's not that they forgot, it's that they just don't care anymore. Well, no, no it's, it's that they legit just don't... They think they're a sham and that they don't believe it actually happened. What I think would have been better is if they acknowledged that it happened but then blame the Ghostbusters for attracting the ghost in the first place, and that's what leads to all of New York suing them for damages. Mm -hmm. I feel like But that is it also been... not that hard to believe that four guys that are very well educated and know a lot about science could uh, basically make all this stuff happen as a hoax? That is definitely I mean, something that I think, especially considering uh, scientists are meant to be empirical and don't necessarily believe in things of the supernatural, that... That would be a leading theory. Okay, but why? Why would they? Why would they do it as a hope? Because they wanted sense. to get a. They wanted to get more people to be interested in the Ghostbusters as like a marketing technique. It makes sense if you. The conspiracy theory actually makes sense, and it's actually pointed out in the first Ghostbusters movie by Walter, uh, because he says they. I am Walter Peck, sir, and I'm prepared to make a full report. These men are consummate snowball artists. They use sense and nerve gases to induce hallucinations. People think they're seeing ghosts. And they call these bozos who conveniently show up to deal with the problem with the fake electronic light show. I think you just need to... I think to accept Ghostbusters 2, you need to understand that the world of Ghostbusters 1 does not include a lot of intelligent people. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I don't... My brain cannot accept that. Like... <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so, so two Ghostbusters be, show so up. So Winston and uh, yeah. Ray are. Winston and Ray show up for the for a kid's birthday party, which is kind of commentary on how you know the Ghostbusters became like so such a child franchise after Ghostbusters, despite it being a more adult oriented comedy. Although it's also extremely inaccurate to the actual tastes of children at the time, because all of the kids are upset that it's not He Man. When mm -hmm. 1989 was the same year that the Masters of the Universe movie bombed at the box office and the real Ghostbusters, the cartoon, was like at its height of popularity. So <laughs> you can't even do that right. Okay. Um, I think the He-Man TV show was still pretty popular in 1989. Though. I mean, it was still in on in syndication, but I think by that point they had stopped. I, and the toy line was still around. But it mm -hmm. was like, He-Man was in decline. But I think it's that. more talking about the fact that Ghostbusters had entered into a franchise mold with young kids similar to that of the market of He-Man. Yeah, Is what they're trying to talk about. But they couldn't even get the actual popularity of it right. Anyways, so, so uh, one of them makes a mention of overprivileged nine-year-olds, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. <laughs> I, yeah, that's, that's kind of fun. So nobody cares, nobody remembers about the events of Ghostbusters. Even Fine. though there was a giant marshmallow man. I... I don't think it's that they forgot about it. I think they thought it was a hoax. Like, that wasn't actually a, a ghost. <laughs> Stay puffed was an inside job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dana tells Egon about the carriage that almost killed Oscar, her baby. Now, Egon and Ray aren't Ghostbusters anymore. Egon is studying the emotional effect of phys on physical environments, which, of course, leads into the uh, pink goo. 
Um, Dana and Venkman had broken up by this point, and Dana got married. And uh, Peter Venkman is now a crank TV show host yeah. with a okay. psychic that, TV well, that show. That bit's kind of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's hilarious. A lot of the jokes in this movie, I think, are really funny. There's some good um, jokes. I, well, again, as I said, this movie is not terrible. I just think it's not nearly as good as the first one. And it's a massive disappointment compared to the first one. And there are certain plot points that drive me insane. Um, so, psych- so one of the psychic predicts that the world will end on New Year's Eve. And, and the then Peter Venkman's like, well, you know, why don't you just make it like a couple months from now? That's not really going to you know? help your book sale. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's another one that predicts that the end of the world will be on February 14th in the year 2016. Which we all know happened. <laughs> yeah they, it ended on valentine's day 2016 and then uh it just started over again like nothing happened although yeah. you know if if you put that four years um for if you just add four years to that you you might be right you know i've realized that i have never actually seen ghostbusters 2 <laughs> despite believing that i had seen it so all of this came as a pleasant surprise of oh there's more original ghostbusters out there what so i actually i had a lot of fun watching this movie i I, again ah so lenny shows up yeah lenny the the mayor lenny the mayor and venkman is told off by lenny's aide now dana is painting and uh this art guy flirts with her what's the art guy's name janosh who's janosh who's now janosh is really into dana but dana's not into janosh i don't like janosh nobody likes janosh janosh just comes off as like trying to do a version of the Lewis Tully ranch stick again, but nowhere mm-hmm. near as funny. Um, I it, it comes off more to me like the French guy from Father of the Bride. I haven't seen Father of the Bride, so I can't. Well, you should watch Father of the Bride. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, Janos, I mean, he does have like a couple of funny lines towards the end, but like for the mm-hmm. most part... Mm, for most part, Vigo is actually the villain of the movie. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So, a force emerges from the painting, the painting of Vigo, who is a, Vigo a the historical. Carpathian. Yeah. Vigo the Cruel, Vigo the Unholy. <laughs> they ever call and... him Vigo the Butch? <laughs> yeah. Vankman visits Egon and Ray, and Pete yeah. pulls uh, Ray by the ears until okay, he admits that... that it was Dana. And that, that is that something... needed help. Okay, so I that, one of my other issues is that I feel like Peter Vankman's characterization. It's kind of all over the place with this movie. What and, do you mean? Like, well, for starters, like this moment here. Like, Peter was always a dick, but mm-hmm. him pulling someone's ears like that feels like, okay, even he wouldn't go that far. No, of course of, like, he would. He's a dick. Physically assaulting someone. That's not physically assaulting. They're well, friends. He's uh, just a dick. I don't know. It's still just... He's always been a dick. I, yes, this is completely in line with dick, this character. But I don't know. It just feels like that... That just doesn't feel like his mo, based on the first movie. And maybe this is maybe this is just me. But it just, that sounds like you. It feels off to me. I'm not. That does not feel off to me. It does to me, and uh, not. I'm not particularly a fan. And well, th- it, and it might not be, and it might not be so bad if they didn't also try to play him later as like a wholesome dad. Um, well, I think later that's in the more. Movie, well, he has a character arc in this movie where he is basically coming to terms with the fact that 
he was not the best partner to Dana and that he has to take on more responsibilities in order to, you know, mm. be in her life again. And then they eventually, you know, I think they get back together at the end. Kind and of, yeah. um, Venkman learns about that through, of course, Oscar. And it's a story of Venkman attempting to save Dana's child and prove himself to her to prove his worth. And I think that is a natural progression of where he started out because it really does make sense that Venkman and Dana's relationship would not have worked. I mean, immediately. Yes, you that, know? I, I agree with that. But it seems as though if he wants to make it work, then he had to change as a character. And that's what he does over the course of the movie. I so don't know, him it, becoming I'll... wholesome isn't necessarily like a, a character shift that's like unwarranted. I think it's more something that's a natural progression. But a lot of it feels like go. it just goes from zero to 60 like that. And that doesn't really feel like it to me. Uh, he's I, he's sarcastic and he's an asshole, but there's a way to do that and also be a good person. I don't, I don't know. You there's know? something about the way they handle him just feels off to me. And, you know, maybe this is just, you know, my own personal take, but I'm just... Well, in in the production of the movie, they were originally going to have Dana and Venkman together immediately, but then they decided that that would center the relationship too much in the story and make uh, his part in the Ghostbusters less important, so they decided to have them break up and then reconvene. That is the actual production reason why that all happened. And that was mostly from notes from Bill Murray, actually. Okay, well, then if they wanted to just have that, I still don't get why they then needed to. Oh, and then she also got married to a different guy that she had the baby with and who then left for different unrelated reasons. Well, like, that's that because like, the idea I, of like a super powered evil baby was an idea that Ivan Reitman had before for a different non Ghostbusters related project. Oh. And he just sort of merged them together. So anyways. Mm, yeah, so. Uh, basically, he finds out that the client is Dana. So now Egon, Ray, and Venkman go to see Dana to help with her, uh, you know, ghost problem. Uh, Venkman plays uh, one of her instruments like a guitar. And Dana is, of course, very concerned by the fact that Peter Venkman is back in her life, you know. And they have a little argument, and uh, there's a funny line, a couple funny lines, where he says, I'm a man. I'm sensitive. <laughs> um, so I also Venkman, like, I do really yeah. like the bit where Egon's talking about his childhood, and he's like, we had part of Slinky, but I straightened it. <laughs> there's a lot of really funny lines that are great with character work in this movie, especially from Egon. Egon also says, has like a sexual innuendo joke about his epidermis. Yeah. I find that really funny. <laughs> My epidermis, yeah. So Bankman plays with the baby, and the baby's name is Oscar, and then they investigate, they find activity going on underground. So then they start drilling into the ground. And they're um, also in disguise as construction workers. Yes. <laughs> like, yo, I'm trying to work over here. And Egon saying yo is yo. shockingly wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> so they uncover an old air shaft, which is connected to an underground tunnel. And uh, paint and... Um, so yeah, the painting of Vigo electrocutes the painting guy and possesses him and turns his brain into like an I need to love Dana type of brain. Yeah. Um, and then Vigo starts talking, find me a child. Ew. 
So they go down in underground and find a river of pink slime. I really like the slime in this movie, even if it is only um, barely related to Vigo. I think they could have had the two aspects of this antagonist interwoven a bit more. I feel like I would like this better if the main focus was about the river of slime and was more about how the slime related as an antagonist. Cause I feel like the slime does work. The problem is yeah. Janos and Vigo really Vigo, despite being zone. played marvelously by Max Valencito is only a kind of a decent villain. He's like, I think, he's okay. As far as metaphors and themes go, the slime being an allegory for urban decay is, which as it was actually how it was intended mm. is a much more interesting idea than just Vigo being there and trying to destroy New York again, I think. Yeah, Vigo just comes off as less interesting, Gozer. <laughs> yeah, and I think the reason why they did that is because they felt like, oh, we have to have a person antagonist. We have to have a named antagonist. We can't just have a vague threat be an antagonist. I feel like that if this be... was made today, that mm-hmm. wouldn't be as much of an issue because I feel like a lot yeah. of movies today are more willing to let to just focus on internal conflict and outside forces rather than having a strict, you know, villain. Yeah. yeah. So Ray is getting descended into the tunnel and he starts getting attacked by the pink slime, so they pull him up. But meanwhile, the cops are coming on to the idea that they really shouldn't be drilling here and they all get arrested. Yeah. Now, Vigo, as the painter guy, Janosch, goes to see Dana and uh, Lewis. Uh, is now Egon Ray and Peter Venkman's lawyer, oh, despite yes. being the fact that he was only a tax lawyer. And I find these scenes where he's trying to be a lawyer absolutely hilarious. The courtroom scene is the best part of the movie and also should have been where the movie opened, quite frankly. Because what it should have been is that it's five years later, the city is suing them for the damage caused by the ghosts, and it mm-hmm. starts in the courtroom, and they have we have this great courtroom scene, and then they ghost, and they become the Ghostbusters again, and you know, we see them, you, you know, you have the courtroom scene, you have all these great funny lines, you set up yeah. a unique different situation from the first movie, and then you have them put on the proton tax, you play the music, Ghostbusters 2, perfect intro. Why didn't they do that? <laughs> I like how his character defense is, one time I turned into a dog, and they helped me. <laughs> and he's like, that's all, your honor. <laughs> Although, of course, this also leads into part of, again, my most frust- the most frustrating aspect of this movie to me, where they, init- where they start, the court does not recognize the existence of ghosts. They're found guilty, and the pink slime explodes, releasing the Scolari brothers. Scolari and brothers. I love the Scolari brothers, because they have these awesome special effects. And they were tried for murder and executed by the electric chair, so now they're all Why electrical. don't you just tell them you don't believe in ghosts? So the judge dismisses the case and allows the Ghostbusters to do their ghost-busting business. And this is great that we get to see more ghost-busting in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I also I, like it's so when, much fun. when Venkman's on the stand, and he's like, mm-hmm. shit happens, someone has to deal with it, and who are you going to call? And then everybody applauds. And you don't um, want us exposing ourselves! <laughs> Again, there's all these classic lines, and it makes me confused that you dislike this movie. There's a, okay, there's a lot of really good jokes in a bubble. I think the problem is that the movie itself does not work as well in terms of a storyline and, you know, really well-put-together characters. I would disagree. So the Ghostbusters gear up to deal with the Scolari brothers. They trap the ghost, and then there's this really weird, bad Ghostbusters rap. Oh, yeah, the, the remix of the theme song is not good. 
Like yeah. the bit the because uh, they sort of had they sort of expand the song later and the bit where it's like so I guess we're gonna have to take control like that part's pretty good, but the mm-hmm. rap section is like oh god why, uh, yeah. although I will give it credit that it's still probably better than the Fallout Boy version and we'll get to that. Um, and then there's this hilarious scene where they've been experimenting with the slime. Oh, yeah. And they find out that it reacts to anger or yelling you or any emotion. You of slime. <laughs> so they both just keep screaming you're, to this thing in this peachy dish. No, my favorite, honestly, my favorite part of that scene is the honest trailer for Ghostbusters 2 labeled, and the comment section from the new Ghostbusters trailer. <laughs> so Pete goes to see Dana and Pete meets up uh, with the painter guy who is, of course, uh, slightly possessed by Vigo. And Dana is going to give Oscar a bath, but the pink slime puppet tries to attack her. It, like, comes out and then yeah. it goes, like that. And it's a really cool effect. Yeah, it's a pretty good effect. So Dana then gets Venk- calls Venkman for help, and Egon and Ray go over to Dana's apartment to investigate. And they don't find anything, but Vigo... Uh, has, you know, of course, prophesied that he would return. So the Ghostbusters go in checking on the painting, because now they suspect that Vigo has something to do with the pink slime. What he has to do with the pink slime, we never actually find out. And this is one of the big problems I have with the villain, is that it seems like they have two villains, and neither of them connect really thematically, I think. I guess the maybe the idea is... Well, because later the slime is used as a shield for Vigo. So maybe the slime is just part of his defense forces i think it's supposed to be that vigo is harvesting and growing stronger from all the negative psychic energy from the slime yeah yeah so then what happens is they go and check on the painting venkman takes dana out on a date and gets janine to babysit and then we have a relationship developing Uh... between janine and lewis because lewis asked janine out on a date hey chris Janine and Lewis are a cute couple, even if no. you want it to be Egon and Janine. It should be Egon and Janine. Egon and okay. Janine had an established yes. rapport in the first movie. They were they are a great couple. They are clearly meant to be together. There is okay. something there that is completely abandoned by this movie in favor of pairing Janine with Lewis, who, who Okay, is, but Janine and, and Lewis have good chemistry. They don't they never interacted at all in the first movie. Then okay, but in this movie, they have good chemistry. But, and basically, their logic here is basically, well, they're the two side characters who aren't Ghostbusters, so couples, it's bad. But I Chris, don't like they it. actually have good chemistry in this movie. Eh. Watching them together is entertaining. Eh. Because Rick Moranis and uh, Janine's actor, I forget her name is uh, Annie. Annie, Annie Potts. Annie Potts are just great actors, Look, so of Annie course they play off each Rick other Moranis great. Annie Potts and Rick are fun yes obviously but this pairing is wrong whatever no. so <laughs> ray and egon uh. are looking at pictures of the painting and then they all the pictures yeah, of the, the painting pictures all catch on, on fire. fire so egon ray and winston visit peter who is with dana and they go underground to investigate the river of slime and dana doesn't come with and neither does peter venkman he stays behind to continue the date because he's trying to prove to dana that he will put her first in his relationship. You see, it's an arc. So Winston tries to measure the slime depth, but falls in, so Egon and Ray jump in after. Um, and Janine and Lewis have a romance. Again, some Good more romance parts scenes. of that scene. Uh, Lewis Tully's version of Snow White. Hilarious. Where he's, yes. t- <laughs> he's talking about how, how like... Snow White, who traded, uh, who traded free labor for room and board, which was a pretty good deal on their part. And, <laughs> like that, that's pretty good. And also Lewis's line of, I used to have a roommate, but my mom moved to Florida. That's, that's very good. 
the fact yeah. that they keep trying to pair Janine X Lewis when it clearly should be Janine X Egon, bad. <laughs> so Winston, Egon, and Ray get back to the surface, and they're covered in slime. They, oh yeah, the Ghostbusters enter Pete and Dana's fancy restaurant. <laughs> fancy restaurant. This is the fancy restaurant. Ghostbusters get arrested, and then the Ghostbusters have to convince the mayor to let them attack the slime, you know, because they always have to convince the mayor. The mayor is not convinced. There's a little subversion here. Yeah. So the Ghostbusters are put in restraining suits and um, yeah, sent off to a psych ward. They're sent off to the... So they're sent off to, insane, to, to an insane asylum because the mayor doesn't believe them, despite the fact that they've been right before. So anyway, the painter awaits Vigo's orders. This movie has bad continuity. <laughs> and Vigo wants the child. So Oscar escaped onto the windowsill and is now on the balcony, like, in horrible danger. So a ghost steals Oscar. It, like, flies in with a carriage and takes Oscar away. And the mm. ooze starts taking over the building. Yeah. It and uh, this is where the movie really starts to emulate the blob, I think. And it's a great homage to make because the blob is one of the best sci-fi B-movies of the 1950s. Uh, so Dana visits the painter guy and gets her baby back. And the ghosts take over New York City again. The Titanic arrives. The Titanic arrives. Fun. Eat your heart out, James Cameron. Lenny wants the uh, Ghostbusters. Yeah, so Lenny now wants the Ghostbusters to help. The Ghostbusters go to fix the slime and Vigo, and to get and spread more positive energy, they, of course, slime the Statue of Liberty so they can inspire everyone. Yes, because they, it was established beforehand that the slime also reacts positive energy because they, they it made the toaster dance, which is a gag that probably would have worked better in the cartoon, but, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, so the Statue of Liberty starts walking walking around and starts like going that. towards I New York like City. I the giant Statue of Liberty. That's fun. And I, I absolutely love what they do with Lewis because Lewis, on his own, decides to become a Ghostbuster, which I think is a natural evolution for his character. Okay. Because... But Lewis at the end of Ghostbusters number one was wanting uh, some sort of credit or interview. And he's always seemed to be very interested in this whole Ghostbusting thing. And I think it's very natural for Lewis to want to become a Ghostbuster, considering also that he's a nerd. And it also gives him a kind of heroic bent, which is really nice to see that arc come into turn in the in the third uh in in the third act, I think. Here's my problem, though, is that you made Lewis a Ghostbuster. But you didn't let Janine be a Ghostbuster, who's been a part of this team since the very beginning, and, you know, is clearly talented and capable and a really and also really funny, which would add to the comedy. And she was also a Ghostbuster in the cartoon. The tune, she be, got to be a Ghostbuster in the real Ghostbusters, but you didn't let her be it in the movie, but you let Lewis be a Ghostbuster. This seems kind of sus to me. A Not sexist, gonna lie. You say. It's sexist. Then he said, now let's talk about Janine. Okay. Janine's completely wrong. Why is she completely wrong? First off, she needs to be more nurturing. She needs to be more of a mother character, a mother to the boys who were there at the firehouse, not yelling at them, but supportive of them. Put her in more dress-like outfits, skirts and blouses, not pants. Make her more nurturing looking. And they laid this panoply out in front of me with all their PhDs and said, this will save the show. Save whom what? I had no idea, but they said, save the show. And I said, no, if you do these things, I am leaving. Okay, well, in the continuity, she's not a Ghostbuster yet, 
But if real Ghostbusters takes place after Ghostbusters 2, then she's a Ghostbuster? When does real Ghostbusters actually take place? I Here's the thing, because it came out after... Because it came out in between the two movies. And yeah. It, and it sort of kicks off... It seems to kick off, at least, right after the events of the first movie, because they acknowledge the events of the first movie, but it doesn't seem like the, any of the stuff in Ghostbusters 2 has happened yet. So presumably it takes place before Ghostbusters 2... But then that makes the plot point in Ghostbusters 2 about people for people, you know, thinking the Ghostbusters are a sham and none of it was real make even less sense if it's on right. top of all of the stuff that happens in the real Ghostbusters. So maybe it takes place after Ghostbusters 2, but then if it takes place after Ghostbusters 2, how come no, no, nobody in the real Ghostbusters should know Ghostbusters 2 and I've gone cross-eyed? <laughs> so this is one thing I don't like about this movie a lot is Slimer becomes a good guy. Oh yeah, Slimer shows up for all of about two seconds. Um, and uh, he... Uh, basically is driving this bus that lewis gets on and he's apparently against the guy trying to release all the other ghosts which is weird well yeah which um, feels it's like a how did he over. escape his didn't he go back into the spirit world at the end of ghostbusters one well yeah but in the cartoon he's just kind of there like okay i think there's an episode where they initially let him out and they realize that he's actually kind of nice now so they just let uh. him hang around which, again, feels like, so I guess this is meant to be a carryover from the cartoon. But again, that makes the plot point about everyone thinking that the Ghostbusters are a sham make even less sense. So Vigo's plan is that he needs to possess this baby. And if he possesses this baby, then the weird painter guy will get to love Dana. Um, now, Dana has no say in this. So Dana saves Oscar from imminent possession. They slime the painter guy. Then they try and uh, zap Z zap Vigo, but it doesn't work. He is so Vigo. Vigo, you are like the buzzing of flies to him. <laughs> That's a good line. So Vigo goes for the child, and everyone uh, starts singing, uh, and Lewis shows up to help. You know, to help uh, get. Uh, to help destroy some of the slime that's uh, in the front of the building. Yeah, the now, whole thing of like trying to use positive the the positive energy and everyone singing has very big "you mess with Spidey, you mess with New York" energy. Um. Yeah, and I like that about this is that it, the mo this movie is basically saying yes, New York City can be an awful, horrible place filled with assholes, but honestly, deep down, a lot of them are good people. It has an optimistic bent. You mess it's with a, one of us, you mess with all of us. So Vigo possesses Ray for all five seconds. Yeah. Lewis shoots the slime, and they send Vigo back into uh, the back into the painting. And there is a painting of the Ghostbusters and Dana really, and Oscar there I do now. really like the Ghostbusters portrait. That's really Yeah, and cool. this is kind of weird because yeah. the movie just sort of ends abruptly. Yeah, so the Ghostbusters, yeah, so, they, so the Ghostbusters portrait happens, and then they're just like, we did it, we saved the world, and then the movie kind of just stops. It just ends. It's like, just it just like, okay, ends it's over. Because we resolved the conflict, and then it's just like, yep, yeah, we're done. No denouement, none, none of that. Yeah. It just ends. <laughs> just stop. It's kind of, kind of bizarre. Um, but yeah, I enjoy Ghostbusters 2. I think it's not as good as the first one, but it's a decent follow-up. And for it taking five years to make, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. I suppose that's true. I think this movie is okay. It's And, you know, as I've said, there are a lot of really good lines, and there are a few, like, handful of like really great scenes like the courtroom sequence is, is fantastic um i love the bit with the statue of liberty that's fun um and again there's a lot of there's a lot of great lines we didn't even mention like oh come on there's always room for jello and like <laughs> stuff like that but 
I'm not overly fond of Peter's characterization. I feel like it's a little bit inconsistent. And I get that they're trying to have an arc, but I don't know if it really works for me. I really don't like Janine X, X Lewis. Um, even if they are funny in the scenes they're in together, I just don't like that pairing. Mm-hmm. And as, as I mentioned, the whole ongoing plot point about nobody in everybody in New York just stopping, just not believing in them anymore for no real reason is just so frustrating and it permeates so many of the other scenes in the film. And I get that it's one of those you're not supposed to think about it things, but I do and it really, really bothers me. And (laughs) that stuff on top of just the villains not being all that great and it just being generally lesser than the first movie make me, again, I don't necessarily hate it. I don't think it's awful. I think but it's here's okay. the thing I don't really understand is that um, you still think it's enjoyable, right? I think I think it's enjoyable enough. Like, yeah, it's okay. That's why I'm always kind of co- I was kind of confused by your five out of ten rating. I was like, it's at least a six out of ten. I, I think, think it's like it's exactly middle of the road. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you're saying a five out of ten isn't a bad thing, because for me that's like carbon neutral, it negative de- neutral. It depends. I think it depends. I think five out of ten can kind of depend. It can go one way or the other in terms of positive or negative because it is directly middle of the road. And I also gave it a like. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I do enjoy oh, Okay. Yeah, so I do enjoy it to a degree, but it is very frustrating in a lot of areas. And to me, it is the weakest entry in the franchise, which I know a lot of people are going to hate me for, but I stand by that opinion. Um, you don't have to hate me because I am going to pick on... The uh, the black sheep of the Ghostbusters franchise, Ghostbusters 2016, which I'm not a huge fan of, um, not for sexist reasons, but I, I just do not enjoy this movie that much. Remember when Ghostbusters was the nexus point of a culture war? Yeah. Oh, good. Let's not talk about goody. that. Yeah, I mean, we could I talk mean, about it a little bit. Like, yeah, everybody that hates this movie because, you know, they made the Ghostbusters all women, they're assholes, and they're sexist. And it's fine if you don't like the movie. It's fine if you don't like it, but I... To dislike it for those reasons is stupid. I Yeah, I think, you know, if you're sexist about it, fuck off. And also, I feel like just kind of overall, I think the hate for this movie is overblown partially because of sexism and partially you know some people might just be nostalgia blind you know i'm not i I mean i mean obviously this is nowhere near as good as the original for obvious reasons Um, i just find the movie really tedious and i'll get into why and Um, also the fact that this trailer that the trailer for this is still like the most disliked trailer on youtube is like come on guys really it was it wasn't a very good trailer i mean like it wasn't great but I've never, I never had that much of a problem with it. And like, to th- going that far is like... I mean, so he- here's the thing, is that they took a beloved 80s property. They then uh, released a, I think, poor quality trailer, wherein um, all of the jokes seemed fairly like, you know, lowbrow and dumb, like stuff you'd find from any kind of Hollywood comedy that's been shot out in the last 20 years. And then it was released. And I think the reaction of not liking the trailer makes sense, I think, because, you know, a lot of people like Ghostbusters, especially for when they were kids. But if you don't like it because, you know, the, the women's are in it, well, then you can, go- you can fuck off. 
you know. Or female <laughs> Ghostbusters. The feminists are taking over. Right. I'm an adult virgin. Still the best thing to come out of Vine. Um, that being said, I don't like this movie. <laughs> uh, okay, also, all right, w- before we actually get into the main plot, I just want to briefly talk about, I normally don't take notes about the studio logos, if, at least if they're not modified, but I did make an exception for this, because remember Ghost Core? Oh, God. <laughs> ghost core okay yeah <laughs> for i remember when you... they were trying to turn ghostbusters into a gigantic star wars-esque yeah, franchise for those i remember of you that who don't know ghost core was a, a or actually is a production company uh and a subsidiary of sony designed to oversee the ghostbusters franchise and develop new ghostbusters projects including this movie a planned sequel to this movie an all-male ghostbusters movie and what yeah there was going to be an all-male one in addition to the all-female one because they were trying to curb the backlash question mark and what? yeah that was that was part of the plan at some point that's uh, weird and there was also going to be an animated ghostbusters movie that was actually going to focus on the perspective of the ghosts and like it would kind of see mm. the ghostbusters as bad guys i still wish that had gotten made but that's interesting and kind of a bold deconstructive take yeah there. but then <laughs> after 2016 kind of did not great it basically ghost core is to ghostbusters what twisted pictures is to the saw films yeah and, and but and i was initially under the impression that they had just fizzled out of existence after 2016 but actually no because they were not only involved in the remaster of the Ghostbusters video game, they are also involved in Afterlife. Okay. So they're not dead, Interesting. apparently. So yeah, Ghost Core lives on. Yeah. So Ghostbusters 2016, I, I admit it, I was one of the people that disliked the trailer, but it wasn't because of the women's. It was because I thought the trailer looked bad. Um, I don't think... I ever like dislike the movie because they did the all female cast. I'm perfectly fine with that addition. Um, but yeah, going into this movie, I, the first time I watched it, I thought it was okay. And the second time I watched it, which is the time I watched it for right now, I disliked it more. Um, and the reason why is mostly due to the style of comedy not clicking with me. If you like Ghostbusters 2016, that's great. Yeah, but I'm going I, to be I personally, about it. I, I enjoy it. I think, you know, again, it's nowhere near as good as the original, obviously. And it's got its problems. But I think it's a fun, you know, kind of breezy romp. I like a lot of the characters. And, you know, while not every joke lands, and it's not, it definitely has nowhere near, like, the laugh-out-loud moments of the original, I definitely got a lot of consistent chuckles. So, you know, yeah, I think I did. Yeah, not for me. Hmm. You, you're like, you call it breezy. I'm like, this is a two-hour, 12-minute tedium fest. So... <laughs> It starts with an Al- um, a mansion tour of a place called Aldridge. Oh, yeah, the Aldridge the f- Mansion by Gabe from The Office. <laughs> by Gabe from The Office, which is weird that they keep bringing in a lot of secondary cast in this movie that are either one cameos, two extremely recognizable actors in weird roles, or three, you know, just uh, office actors. So Gabe from The Office is, in my opinion, one of the worst Office characters ever. They just introduced him as a replacement for Jim and thought that him having a romance with Aaron would provide the same sort of drama as Jim and Pam. Shut up about the sun! Shut up about the sun! Yuck. And in the meanwhile, they destroyed Andy's entire character just to do it. Anyways, 
Gabe, uh, Gabe's actor goes through a lot of really shitty improv. Yeah, so there's a. I think hard. him trying to cram in quips is kind of a mixed bag. I do kind of like the jab at P.T. Barnum, just because you know, fuck P.T. Barnum. But you can really feel the gears turning because he's gotten like no character direction. He's just desperately trying to improv just, something funny, which is you know? kind of yeah, which is a little awkward. And I do kind of miss when in the original it was actually trying to be more ominous at the beginning as opposed to here right. where they're automatically trying to go, you know, put in a joke, put in a joke, put in a joke. And, you know, no. that, yeah. you know, joke a minute pacing can work. But, you know, you have to be you ha- most of the jokes need to land. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the director, Paul Feig. I am a fan of Paul Feig's work, mostly his work on television. I think his work on The Office and Parks and Rec and Arrested Development are all fantastic. Oh, yeah, he did do Arrested Development as well. I forgot about that. Yes, yeah. he did the TV show Weeds, which I haven't seen, but I hear yeah, is so, good. Yeah, he's done, um, he's done a lot of good so, TV comedy work, and he's done a few, you know, pretty big comedy movies. Yeah. It seems yeah. like when he gets a script or a show with a bunch of really well-defined characters and lets the actors, you know, improv some stuff, gold can be spun from that, I think. But I think that the, the screenplay here did not provide a consistent or well-fleshed-out characters enough to really let the improv improv land in a way that would make sense. Because I consistently throughout the movie have an issue where I don't exactly know who Abby is as a person or, you know or uh you know aaron i think i think aaron kind of get aaron a little bit especially with the backstory i will say that abby again for i I do like them all but abby does sort of feel like melissa mccarthy doing a doing a bit as opposed to being a defined character in her own right which i will admit is kind of an issue yeah I, Holtzman's the best one because she's the only one that spun it into having a consistent character. Oh yeah, opinion. absolutely. Holtzman is the easily the best part of this movie and deserves to be in more things. <laughs> absolutely. So yeah. Gabe from the office is going through the house and says one of the house's family members was a murderer who was then sealed in the basement. Yeah, G- Gertrude Aldrich. And so then, but then you know, it's it's a you know it's one of those haunted house attractions and it has one of the things fall over on purpose. Yeah, and then it turns out that the ghost is real, and and he gets thrown around the room. And he gets thrown around the room, and then he screams, which is, of course, parallel to the original, and the theme music starts playing. But before that, the ground opens up, and we get Ghostbusters 2-esque slime for some reason. Oh, yeah. Because apparently we need to reference Ghostbusters 2 while also remaking Ghostbusters 1. Now, my argument is that this movie is not actually a reboot. This is just a straight remake of the first Ghostbusters film. I mean, it's, film. Ca- it's honestly, it's kind of semantics, really. Like I, I know, but a reboot implies that there's something new, the structure is different, that it's not basically the same story. Ghostbusters 2016 is, if you look at it in brass tacks, basically the same story as Ghostbusters 1984. It's... Three friends, all of which are kicked out of academia for their paranormal beliefs, then join together to form a private company, of which they then get a fourth member who is an African-American, where they then go out and hunt ghosts, and they get really popular until they have a conflict with the mayor and have to save the day. It's, in broad strokes, the same story, I think. It has different characters, yeah, but a lot of it is very similar to the original movie i think 
I suppose. Um, so, yeah. Well, I guess you could argue that's because it's their origin story, because they were supposed to be more, and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, but... well, we'll get to that when we get to it. So we have really yeah. boring titles, in my opinion. It's just... Yeah, it's weird how, like, nonchalant the titles are is, because it's the normal-ass font for yeah. Ghostbusters, and just Anyway, just Times New Romaning Ghostbusters. It's, it's in white against the cityscape. Yeah, it's, it, it is kind of weird how, like nonchalant it is especially given that the bombastic music is playing in the background and uh aaron is introduced to phyllis the doctor who is a part of academia that doesn't like scientific journals this again feels like an improv bit where she's like trying to say something it's a shtick where you know she says something and then the scientist contradicts her opinion and she tries to back off on that it's you know it, it it works well enough as a but no it doesn't work because there's no internal consistency to what the the professor's actually saying because she is a academic a professor that doesn't believe in getting her studies published in academic journals are you shitting me well be well because the journals take it take attention away from the real science (laughs) okay well where are you gonna find the real science if it's not published well okay this is where improv logic takes over from like actual science logic (laughs) that's the thing is immediately we get improv that takes you out of the movie in the original ghostbusters all of the comedy came organically from the characters and the story we didn't stop the movie to have comedy bits and that's what ghostbusters 2016 does the comedy therefore comes off inorganic it's come it's definitely going for a much different style than the original yeah and i can understand why that can be off-putting but for me taking it on its own merits it's, you know, again, not every joke lands, but, you know, for me, for the most part, it works, but it is very much not the original. Like, uh, yeah, well, the guy who plays Clifford Maine from Better Call Saul confronts uh, Aaron about the fact that she had co-written a ghost book back in the day that she didn't know was published. Yeah, uh, Ghost from Our Past, both literally and figuratively. Um, yes. So he asked if she could help cure um, an opening, uh, the opening places like Ghost Problem, you know? And then, oh, I'd also uh, like to point out as a fun little as a fun little Easter egg, there is actually um, in I think during the scene you can if you look out the door like of the lecture hall she's in you can see a bust of Harold Ramis. Oh, okay, that's nice. So, and, nice and then Tywin Lannister walks in. <laughs> Charles Dance. Charles Dan walks in as Dr. Fillmore, another weird casting decision where, especially when this movie came out, he walks in and you're just like, oh, that's Tywin. What is well, Tywin okay, doing Well, I here? didn't know that because I don't watch Game of Thrones. I just Okay, didn't... well, you are one of the, you're one of the thousands of people that didn't watch Game of Thrones. And now Chris. I, and now I recognize him as, a, oh, hey, it's the human bad guy from Godzilla, King of the Monsters. <laughs> okay. So he is Dr. Fillmore. Now, Aaron goes to confront Abby for publicizing the book because Dr. Fillmore chewed her out over the, over, you know, the book being published. Yeah. So um, the editing in this movie is very strange because there's a lot of quick cuts, you know? Usually when you're editing a movie, you'd want all of the cuts to be motivated. And what I mean by that is that when a shot cuts, it should usually be at a dramatic point or perhaps, you know... Um, at the end of someone's statement. But in this movie, sometimes we'll have cuts that are go on for like, you know, a shot that's like seven seconds and then three seconds or two seconds. It's very inconsistent how long the shot lengths are. 
in this movie, and I think that kind of gives it a jerky feel that I think is probably due to the fact that it was made uh, largely with improvisation, because there would have to be probably hundreds of takes we never saw, you know? I think the editing is fine. I mean, I'm not an editing expert, so I never really noticed a problem with it. And, you know, even if we're talking about, you know, bad editing, you know, this is definitely no Bohemian Rhapsody. That's true. Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody is fucking shitty editing. Yeah. So what happens next is uh, Abby and Aaron argue and they have more bad improv. And then Holtzman shows up, who is the only good character. Holtzman is, okay, well, I would argue there's a, there's some other good characters. But Holtzman is by far the best one, uh, played by Kate McKinnon. She is an engineer and an autistic lesbian icon that is that is my headcanon you cannot take that away <laughs> she is the best put her in more things where is my holtzman spinoff i yes. want i honestly okay no joke and we can talk a little bit about our pre-release thoughts about afterlife once we finish this um no joke if you put holtzman in afterlife i will take back every criticism i have ever had of that movie and give it a 10 out of 10 by default <laughs> so um the, the reason why she's really good in my opinion is she has this kind of um disconnect from everything that's going on around her like she's playful in a way that's kind of you know that she doesn't necessarily consider the consequences of her actions sort of like entrapta from uh, from shira <laughs> Yeah, Holtzman walked so Entrapta could run. Um. But with more of the dark humor of, say, uh, the girl from uh, Parks and Rec, what's her name? Uh, oh, um, April? Yeah, April O'Neil. No, Not April, April Ludgate. O'Neil. April Ludgate. Yeah. April O'Neil is from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> more of the dark humor of April Ludgate. Uh, Holtzman's great, and she's the only character, as I said previously, that comes off having an internal logic and motivation. She's definitely so, the most fleshed out. Yeah, so they play a queef tape, which I guess is comedy. Uh, yeah, uh, at least there, at least it's only at least there's only one fart joke. Uh, well, they make a poop joke later. Well, there is a poop. Well, the poop joke is a little better than the fart joke, but. Um. So Abby and Holtzman then go to the mansion, which was haunted, and for some reason they cast Zach Woods as the tour guide. We already talked about he, that he was Gabe. Yeah. Uh, he comes back. Now uh, we have the poop improv. Okay. And yeah. Eh. Yeah. They look for ghosts. Oh, they no, have... we forgot about the Ed Mulgrave joke. Oh, yes, yes. The Ed Mulgrave joke is pretty funny. Yeah, so, yeah, because she gets contacted, and she's the old man. It's like, we're looking for a Mr. Ed Mulgrave. Ed died 15 years ago. And then the guy walks up and is like, who is that? It's like, oh, that's his son. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, that's actually funny. Yeah. Um, it's one of the only three times in this movie that I laughed. The other two times were when... Um, they get a flyer and they say, uh, it says, if you see something, something say something. Oh, that's the, that's the anti-terror headline. <laughs> yeah. And then when Kate McKinnon breaks a guitar. That's well, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of good jokes with Kate McKinnon, but, uh. Well, well, Kate McKinnon just generally gave off positive vibes to me. And that's why I liked her character, but there wasn't a lot of good material with her. I'd say. Um, there's, so, there's a couple of them, but we'll, we'll get to it. Um, then they randomly shout out Pringles cause they thought it'd be Oh funny. yeah. Well, they just, well, it, it's not necessarily a shout out. It's just Holtzman. Because yeah. she needs a snack. She just o- brings out a can of Pringles and just starts snacking on Pringles as she's watching this happen. <laughs> Which yeah. I honestly think is pretty funny. <laughs> uh, so they see a ghost. Yeah. Aaron gets slimed. Uh, Aaron... Yeah, the, there's the vomit yeah. joke. Uh-huh. Yep. And uh, they 
they're taking a video of this, and that video gets posted on ghostnews.com, and this leads to Erin losing her professor job because Tywin found the video online. And then she goes over with Abby and Holtzman, and she's kind of angry about losing her tenure, but it seems like she should be more angry and that this should be, like, a deal-breaker for them ever actually, like, interacting again. If I got fired from a $100,000 a year salary job because one of my friends stabbed me in the back because they wanted to, like, you know, publish their ghost nonsense, I would be mad, too. Okay, here's the... I mean, in... All right. I... Yes, but also, as we find out later, Aaron's entire life has been defined by nobody believing her about the about the existence of ghosts that she's known about since she was eight, and now she has definitive yeah. proof that they exist. So I can sort of I understand guess. why she would then lean into the ghost-busting stuff. So then they go to their own... Uh, Less prestigious university. The Kenneth P. Higgins Institute. I will and, not... <laughs> and uh, they, he's like, I didn't even know your department still existed. And then they all get kicked out of academia before he, you know, does a lot of bad improv. I do like, I, well, okay, well, his, well, the second joke goes on too long. But I do like how Abby is just like, you spell science with a Y. And the worst part is I don't, th- I don't think you know why that's wrong. <laughs> so here's the thing. If you cut out... Uh, like 50% of the bad improv in this movie, you could get it down to 90 minutes. Okay, you're not wrong. Okay. I also... (laughs) This movie is too long, first off. The first movie was 107 minutes. The second movie was 108 minutes. This movie in the extended cut is 2 hours and 12 minutes long. That is entirely too long for a Ghostbusters movie, especially one that is so bereft of original content, in my opinion. Hmm. It's too long, and I don't know why they decided to release an extended cut. Apparently, that's just what happens when you have a box office bomb in a genre film. <laughs> well, I mean, Deadpool. Anyways. Well, Deadpool two had an extended cut, and that was uh, it did really well at the box office. So that's true. Yeah. I just don't necessarily understand why everything's getting an extended cut nowadays. Because if that's you... the new hotness. You I know, guess people so like their s- extended cuts. Yeah, they steal equipment from the university. That worthless and, garbage belongs to this school. <laughs> and a weird man says stu- weird stuff to Leslie Jones that sounds apocalyptic. And that guy is our villain, Rowan, who is a terrible villain and is absolutely useless to the, sh- to the movie. He's a ghost-obsessed incel. And Basically. is not very... He is probably the weakest villain in this franchise. Like, yeah. it goes... It goes Gozer, Zool, then... Vigo. Vigo, I guess. It's, it's a toss-up between Rowan and Janusz. Anyway, moving right. on. Um, so she follows him into the subway and finds that uh, there was a weird bomb thing and a ghost, and um, she follows Rowan into the, you know, the subway system. And then we start weirdly paying homage to Jacob's Ladder, <laughs> because Jacob's Ladder also has a scene where a person goes down deep into the belly of the beast, a.k.a. a subway system in New York, and then ends up seeing something supernatural that then is in the back of a freight train, in the back of the subway car, going back and, like, looking at you. Mm. It's weird that they pay homage to Jacob's Ladder. I mean, if they were trying to make this more of a, a horror scary movie, that would make <laughs> sense. But, you know, I, I won't complain about a little Adrian Line <laughs> references. That's yeah. fine with me. So, um... Next what happens is... Yeah. Um, Rowan is trying to bring the dead back to life, and yeah. they get an, and then uh, the Ghostbusters get an office, 
Oh yeah. So what I so what I like about this scene is so at first they actually go to the firehouse uh, from the original, and there's this bit about like you know how like they they actually really like it. It would be a great place to set up shop, and then they're like you know how how much is it? rent is twenty one thousand a month. Fuck you. <laughs> um, I just define her immediate reaction really funny. <laughs> here's a problem I have with this movie and with that joke a little bit is that this movie continues to drag everything from the original that we recognize out to the point where it teases the villain from the original movie and the end credits. I and will that's say that just really, really not creative at all. I will say that the throwbacks are one of the weaker elements and i think this movie is a lot better when it's doing its own thing but that is one of the throwback jokes that i do actually really like <laughs> i mean it makes it, it's funny if you've seen the original but if you haven't seen the original it doesn't mean anything okay to you. yes but you know who hasn't seen the original ghostbusters so kevin shows up oh yeah and so they, you know, they set up shop above a chinese restaurant and after that uh as aforementioned if you see something say something get and yes so Kevin shows up and everyone likes him. He's a himbo. He's that's a himbo his entire played character. by Chris Hemsworth. And I we, feel like I, I really I think he's really good in this. And yes, Kevin's character is just that he's a himbo. But, you know, Chris Hemsworth is really good at comedy. So he makes it work. <laughs> Chris Hemsworth is really good at comedy. But the problem is that this one joke about this character gets dragged out for two whole hours. I've, I like the bit where he doesn't have any lenses in his glasses because they kept getting dirty, so he just popped them out. <laughs> so we have more bad improv. Leslie, Joan then, Leslie Jones then tells them about the ghost experience in the subway system. And, um... So yeah, and then uh, they're in the su- they go to the subway system, and a random dude that just happens to be there happens to graffiti the Ghostbusters logo on the wall, which is... The most contrived nonsense I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's kind of just... Mm, yeah. It's really stupid. Eh. So, they look for ghosts. They find the ghost. Um, Aaron shoots the proton laser at the ghost. The ghost gets hit by the train, which is kind of weird that a ghost could get hit by a train. Yeah, the, you know? the ghost... Can't it just I, phase through the train like the other ghost did? I mean... When Leslie Jones saw the ghost? Remember when yeah. the ghost went into the train in the back of the subway car? Maybe the idea is that they have various forms of corporealism. I, I guess. I also like the bit where Patty is just like, he's gonna be the third scariest thing on that train. <laughs> So Leslie There's Jones. There's some good lines in this. Um, yeah. Leslie Jones wants to join the Ghostbusters, so she gets a car from uh, one of the people she knows. From her uncle. Yeah. From her uncle, and uh, Rowan sees a woman who got a terrible CGI neck monster, which is apparently one of his doing outside somewhere. Yeah, the, the, the special effects the... in this movie aren't actually that good, which is weird. It looks like Scooby Doo CGI. You I've know the seen movie Scooby Doo. Come up a lot, and I really disagree with it. Because I feel like the people who say it looks like Scooby-Doo 2002 haven't actually watched Scooby-Doo 2002 in a very long time. Like I've seen Scooby-Doo 2002 about eight years ago. It's better than... It's worse than this movie. But Ghostbusters is weirdly not that high above it. It's like video game graphics. It doesn't look convincing at all. I mean, Which is okay. weird that even the extremely dated effects of Ghostbusters 1 and 2 still look more convincing I because they ag- use practical effects. I will agree effects. with you, but I think, I think the effects work from an art design perspective, but I, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess they're not exactly the most realistic looking things, but, you know, 
I really liked when 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 the ghosts in Ghostbusters one and two had like a physicality to them that made them really kind of interesting to look at. I I mean, I like the I like the effects in the first two better. Yeah. But and to me, the ghost effects are a very important part of Ghostbusters because, you know, it's called Ghostbusters. So the ghosts have to look good, you know, I mean, they Uh, look good, you know, from, you know, a design standpoint. I think so. Yeah, but not transferred on into live action, in my opinion. So they, they look Ab- fine enough. I, Abby I has problems with the with the pack, and she starts flying around everywhere. And we get some slapstick comedy, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> weird to see slapstick comedy in a Ghostbusters movie. Like, there's a bit of slapstick in Ghostbusters, but it's mostly a heady, talky kind of comedy movie. There's more slapstick in two. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, that's probably because they were going for a younger demographic. I'm assuming. True. In Ghostbusters too. Um, but yeah, it's okay that it went with a different comedic direction. I just don't find it funny. Uh, so yeah. we have a really bad Ghostbusters theme cover. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh, okay. Wait, well, before we get to that, I also like the, we get a bit of Aaron's backstory where uh-huh. they, where they sort of talk about how she saw to like the old lady who lived down the street died and she saw her ghost when she was eight. Nobody believed her and it traumatized her and she was made fun of in school and that's how she and Abby met. And they also do what I honestly think is a really funny school presentation about paranormal science. I forgot that bit. Paranormal <laughs> is normal. Oh, yeah, that, that part. Okay. And about science. And then they bring out the Ecto-1 and the jumpsuits. And it's then... 56 minutes into the movie when they get Ecto-1. Yeah. And 56 then, minutes it's nearly an hour of your life has gone by before they even get the ghostbusters car this is what i'm talking about when they when i say that they drag out everything from the original if they had gone at this pace we would have gotten to the events of ghostbusters 2 by ghostbusters 5 <laughs> it's really a slog in my opinion we get a horrible ghostbusters okay theme i wanna I, I i need to give people a sort of dramatic recreation here to just emphasize how bad the fallout boy remix of the ghostbusters theme is uh hold on i just gotta get some water here to prepare myself because you know how the original ghostbusters theme was like super poppy and fun and it had the saxophones and kind of jazzy and then the ghostbusters 2 theme you know was you know it had that weird rap for some reason but you know it had some you know smooth kind of late 80s soul type thing going on in certain parts yes here's how the new one goes it's such a strange in your neighborhood who you gonna call i'm not it's, afraid, it's so not over afraid. the top and obnoxious i'm not afraid not afraid I'm not afraid, and then it goes into another weird rap section, like. Well, you remember how Ghostbusters the original was really actually kind of understated in its presentation. Yeah. And how this movie tries to make every single thing related to ghosts and the film make it feel like it's the most epic thing ever. Yeah. Like, when, like in the fight scene, they just keep blaring the music. I will say that this score is very over reliant on. The specific that riff of the theme song. It's like, terrible. <laughs> it just get, it just gets annoying. Parts you know? of there are times when it works, but at a certain point, it's like 
okay, even if you're just gonna do the theme song, there are other parts of the theme song you can play. <laughs> so they go on their first ghostbusting mission, and mannequins start chasing Leslie Jones. Yeah, they, so they go, yeah, because it's at a... They ghost, it's at a concert. Yeah. They ghost bust, and we get the thing where the dragon tries to take Leslie Jones yeah, away, and dragon. it's more I also, unfunny I, improv. I like how, I do like how they think the ghost dragon is just part of the metal show. I think that's Yes. Fun. Yeah. That's that's an interesting idea, but um, you know, usually from interesting ideas you want to write jokes, but this movie doesn't have written jokes. It just has improv, endless improv. I don't can you tell that I don't like improv comedy that much? I like improv, so maybe that's why I like this movie. I've been in improv, so maybe that's why I like this movie. <laughs> improv comedy comes off to me like it's like you're choosing to make a worse form of comedy. Jesus! <laughs> just by and being an, live, you know, and not having anything pre-written. As someone who has worked in improv, I find that statement offensive. <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> um, it, but isn't what we're doing technically improv right now? I, 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 are we improving right now? Technically speaking, yes. I don't like improv. So anyways, Holtzman smashes like the improv. guitar. And yeah, yeah. you so won't be able to pay a, for another one. And then, <laughs> there's a nonsense Aussie cameo for some reason. Ozzy Osbourne shows up because metal show, I guess. Um, Rowan sees the Ghostbusters on the news. We get more improv. Bill Murray shows up. Oh yeah, so the Bill Murray cameo, I feel like, is the biggest example of wasted potential in this movie because he's a ghost skeptic, and he, so like he's a guy who doesn't believe their story and thinks mm -hmm. they're a sham. And that's a really cool, that's, I think that's a fun concept for a character in one of these movies, especially for someone for Bill Murray to play. But they don't use that like at all. And instead he shows up one scene earlier in the movie just on the news. And then after they trap the ghost dragon, he shows up again at their headquarters only so and then Aaron, he goads them into like letting yeah, the ghost goads, out and then when they do the ghost murders bill murray murders which apparently murray. doesn't get the attention of anyone well it gets well, the like there's no up. investigation well the police show up the police do show up but like nobody questions them and why you know a man just fell out of their window <laughs> it's a comedy you gotta suck. no that's not how that works comedy needs to be internally consistent for it to be funny in my opinion the best comedy comes from characters and them being true to who they are as characters i think uh you can't just say oh it's comedy and just get rid of it you know which i know is still the uh the excuse that i use for why nobody remembers what happened in yeah, ghostbusters 1 say, and ghostbusters 2 oh. i am being a little hypocritical here but i'm speaking more about character focused comedy not necessarily like you know universe comedy i think anyway. i th i honestly feel like this movie would be a lot better if they had made bill murray into the walter peck and that would have been a good be idea on the ground human antagonist I think well actually that, that also would have been a terrible idea because then they would just be goading more stuff from the original movie okay than they yeah are. but that's okay but this is at least a funny uh, and somewhat you know unique take on something from the original movie uh, so one of the cops is Omar from The Wire because they go on to meet Homeland Security with the mayor, yeah. and the mayor tells them that they need yeah, so, to make yeah, them so the make them look like frauds. Ghosts are real, yeah. and they appreciate their work, but they need them to do it uh, under the radar, and they need to say that they're frauds because they don't want to create a panic. <laughs> yeah, which is weird, obtuse rating, and just like really overly complicated in my opinion. 
why we need this scene at all, I don't know. Although it, it just does creates a very strange, unfunny dynamic between the government and the Ghostbusters. It does have this scene does have one of my favorite jokes in the movie, which is you know the these the government agents going off about all these you know crazy things that suddenly people stop caring about. You know the entire town of Langville, Montana, goes missing. It does. <laughs> I don't find that funny. I. I think it's again. It just feels like something that was come up with on the spot, improv, and then he, the man, the actor looked desperately to the side to ask Paul Feig if it was funny, and then he was laughing. But you know, I, I don't find it that funny. Um, maybe you, maybe you should just, maybe you should just learn to appreciate improv comedy. No. So they connect <laughs> ghost sports with the ley lines. Uh, now Rowan is now creating a wormhole to break through the barrier into the spiritual dimension. They discover Rowan is uh, is attempting to do this. And uh, so they go to the Mercado to try and confront him. And Janine is here for some yeah, reason. Yeah, Annie Potts has a cameo. and she's Again, another useless cameo in this movie. And, okay, um, all right, I'm going to say a hot take. These cameos would have been better if they were still mostly the same, but this was an actually in-continuity sequel to the first two, and they were just playing their That wouldn't make sense, though. But that but wouldn't if, make sense, considering that these people are now the first Ghostbusters again. Well, they would... I think they... Well, in this hypothetical version, the story would be changed slightly, so that these were Ghostbusters that were carrying on the legacy of the original ones. But now like, you're probably you know, just describing what Ghostbusters Afterlife is going to be. Well, uh, hmm. Well, we'll yeah. We'll we'll talk about we'll talk about that later. Um, so they confront Rowan, and Rowan commits suicide by electrocution, and then they shut off the ghost machine. So uh, press press F to pay respects, I guess. So here's a question I have. So his big plan, revealed in some of the notes found later, is that he is going to kill himself so that he can become a ghost so that he can rampage throughout New York. But here's the thing. He could still release all the ghosts in New York that would rampage and still be alive. So why doesn't he just do that? Well, because he, well, because being a ghost gives him ghost powers. <sighs> okay, so everyone disowns them on the news uh, because Aaron punched an asshole that confronted her. Uh, I asked about and, and ghosts Aaron, and shit. And Aaron was 100% in the right. Uh -huh. Right, and Aaron feels bad and then discovers Rowan's diary, where we talked about it. Yeah. Abby uh, gets possessed by Rowan now and starts destroying stuff. Uh, so she throws Holtzman out the window, but she holds on. There's some slaps. The ghost escapes. Kevin wants to be a Ghostbuster, but is possessed by Rowan. And this is they where the villain becomes actually somewhat decent, because, again, Chris Hemsworth is good at comedy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So they redo the Lewis restaurant window bit as Aaron goes to see the mayor. because She's, like, hitting on the glass outside, and nobody's paying any attention. So she is dragged out because, you know, people think she's hysterical. So Rowan, as Kevin, opens the barrier, which... I do like the bit in that scene where the mayor is like, never compare me to the Joss Mayor. <laughs> never! I guess. Yeah. I, I guess that's... I, 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 I guess just, that's fine. Maybe it's just funnier now because, like, basically the entire American government has become the mayor from Jaws. That's true. Yeah. So we get bad Scooby-Doo movie ghost FX, as we talked fine. about before. They look the Ghostbusters fine. go out to fight the ghosts. Dan Aykroyd has a... Yeah, Dan Aykroyd has a 
useless cameo as a cab driver. I do like how he just, as a cab driver, he does just casually know this stuff. Like, oh, that's just a class wall rolling, babe. <laughs> yeah. That's Which it feels like a, it was left from a previous script where they weren't the first Ghostbusters. Yeah, I again, I feel like it should have been they were they weren't the first Ghostbusters and they were carrying on the legacy and that these cameos were were actually just the original characters again, but just randomly yeah. in different places. So the CGI Slimer looks okay. It steals Ecto One, and honestly, I guess a lot I of people think like this is the best use of Slimer ever. Because I guess a lot of people like Slimer stealing Ecto One because it's Ecto-1. it's two things you already know about and they're together no, again. Because he steals Ecto One, he meets a lady Slimer, and he goes mm-hmm. on a bender. <laughs> uh, I guess, whatever. So and they get you know attacked. If they, and if you know if they could, they'd be snorting cocaine. <laughs> in that anyway, so <laughs> they get attacked by ghost parade floats because yeah, apparently ghosts will... can possess parade floats now. They, yeah, the evil parade balloons, and there's a Stay Puffed cameo, because, fine. Because of course there is. <laughs> they pop them open, Ghost Kevin makes everyone dance, <laughs> and we have a dance scene for some reason that where everyone is possessed to dance. It's amazing. No, it's Chris it's Hemsworth stupid. making the entire armed forces dance to a 70s boogie wop is one of the best things I have ever seen. It's and, fucking stupid. And the fact that they cut it down so much in the theatrical version is a travesty. No, it was because version, the scene was terrible. No, because in the theatrical version, they just had him do a couple of dance poses and that was it, which is a, the coward's way out. They should have had them do the full dance scene because it's the best thing. <laughs> no. Yes. I disagree. Well, I disagree so, with your disagreement. They uh, they go in and they fight some ghosts, and the action is really boring. I think the because apparently this is an action movie now, and we need to pretend like this is the most important thing that's ever happened. So the music is blaring and giving everyone a headache, and it's two hours into the movie. The, uh, first of all, Ghostbusters has always been a comedy with action elements. Men's no, not really. Thing. Yes, it has. There were action scenes in the first two movies. All the ghost trapping stuff is that counts as action. No, 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 no. I, I get to make your counterpoint because you are wrong about these <laughs> scenes. Okay, because these are no. because the Ghostbuster action. Yes, it is more a little more action heavy than the previous two, but they have always been comedies with action elements. So therefore, it it makes sense. And I like how they, you, you know, have these different varieties of Ghostbusters weapons that's very creative. You know, we have the, you know, the proton gloves and some gloves and the grenades. And the best one, which is Holtzman, comes out with these fucking proton dual whips. And it's, it's fucking awesome. And it's just CGI nonsense for like 10 cool. minutes. It's fucking cool. Learn to have fun, you cynical piece of shit. <laughs> so the action in the first two Ghostbusters movies was fairly subdued. Like the only time when it really got action-y was in the ghost hunting busting bits, which tended to only last about like five minutes usually. So I don't really consider Ghostbusters a com- an action franchise, you know, considering that, you know, most of like, the first one was just considered... It was just a bunch of, like, you know, comedy. A long, boring sludge... It's not boring. It's fun. It's, it is. It's I find got, it boring. That's got, my opinion. They do creative stuff with the weapons. And no, Holtzman not really. And has a cool solo moment. It's a eh. good sequence. Shut eh. the fuck up. <laughs> it's boring. I, I felt bored when I watched well, it. Well, you're and wrong. And I feel bored talking about it well, now. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> well, you can definitely think I'm wrong, but I still think it's boring. Um, so, anyways... They're trying to make Ghostbusters really epic with that music. Really, really epic. 
the they confront Kevin. It works. A, it, AKA Rowan. The epic and Kevin. Works with the Holtzman thing. Yeah. So Kevin from The Office shows Kevin up for no reason. Kevin from The Office reason. has a cameo for some reason. Why? Because I, Paul Feig wanted to have a bunch of people that he knew in his movie. It kind of feels like that character was initially supposed to be Rick Moranis. If they were, if they convinced him to come out of retirement for this, but then they didn't, so they were just like, "Uh, Kevin from the office, <laughs> okay." So they decide to cross the streams. They close up the wormhole and get the monster inside yeah, well, because, the wormhole. Well, because Rowan turns into a giant Ghostbusters logo, and then the yeah, that was like, dumb. Yeah, it's like, eh. Yeah, so let's just turn into the logo. Well, I mean, I guess it's. At least it's not just doing Stay Puffed again. Exactly. It's basically just doing Stay Puffed again because well, it's a giant white monster yeah, that's fluffy it's a looking. Yeah, bit is yeah, eh. Eh. And ugh. and if them fi- fighting the trademark of the franchise isn't a metaphor, <laughs> hey, hey, I don't know what hey, is. Hey, back off, fighting... buddy. What? Hey, I mean, it makes sense. You know, they're trying to make their own in this legacy. And, you know, the only way to properly claim that is to fight the logo. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying I love that, but, you know, you're on thin ice here. <laughs> oh, no. So anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. So they... at first they're like, we got to cross the streams because, okay, this is I, for the most part, I think I prefer the extended cut. But for whatever reason, the cross the streams thing is added back in, even though it wasn't there before. And it's kind of just there to be a red herring because they try yeah. to cross the streams and then it doesn't work. And then they mm-hmm. figure out the real way to cause total protonic reversal is to shoot all the equipment on Ecto-1 because it's effectively, you know, this giant nuclear reactor. Um, so then so they... So Aaron, Aaron jumps in yeah, and so they do saves that. Abby. They, they make the... They banish, they banish the incel. Yeah, but, but uh, he's falling back into, you know, the giant wormhole and Abby gets sucked in with her. So Aaron comes in and saves her, which I guess is forgiveness for her getting yeah, her fired. It's a, Both it's Abby a little... and Aaron have white hair now for some reason well, we because, get some more uh, improv it, um yeah no, it's because like residual ghost energy whatever <laughs> it's 2040 our president is a plant <laughs> whatever so both abby and aaron are out holtzman toasts and the government the helps holtzman get them the nice. firehouse the end but no we have post credit scenes well actually before that there's a hernie hudson cameo which is probably Why? the best one um why do we need all of the original ghostbusters to cameo if this isn't in the same well, timeline it's because they're insecure about the fan base and they're like see we're still paying respect to the original we have these nods see see you know, I, I like the last jedi a lot so i don't give a shit about being respectful to fan bases well, generally because i was on the other side of that whole discourse well I so also, i'd say i'd be fine with them just going in a completely new and strange direction with this but apparently the people that made the movie the executives uh didn't and the producers didn't want that so you know so and, so instead we got this movie and it's below average i think um okay well there's post credits because there uh, is post credits we got improv uh i do like the bit where holtzman makes the ghost bear trap and i don't like that that's dumb like it, it takes ghosts and it transports them somewhere else. I don't know where, but I have a feeling it's Michigan. <laughs> I, I I guess that's a fine line, but like, 
I don't get the point of introducing tech that we're not actually going to see happen in the movie. Because which is also sequel baiting. They only get the containment unit at the end of the movie, which happens like 30 or 40 minutes into the original Ghostbusters. Well, because they're doing it differently. No, that's not doing it differently. That's doing it slower. No, it's doing it in a different order. <sighs> okay, okay. And Sigourney so, Weaver has a cameo as Holtzman's mentor. Um, apparently. So the city thanks the Ghostbusters. <laughs> and Leslie hears Zool on the tape recorder, which is one of the stupidest post-credit scenes ever, because you're literally just calling back to something from the original movie in a movie that completely takes the structure of the original movie and promising the original movie's villain for the sequel. It's kind of like, you know, when, when a video game gets, like, stuff cut out of it, and then they say, like, oh, you'll have to pay money to get the stuff that was originally planned for the video game. That's kind of what it feels like emotionally to me. Like, if you're going to just remake Ghostbusters, then just put Zool in there as the villain. Why do we need to lead up to Zool in the sequel? It doesn't make any sense. And why is Zool considered, like, the big bad of this universe? Zool was no more, like, big or badder than fucking... Uh, uh, the guy from Ghostbusters 2, you know. Well, because more people like Ghostbusters 1 than Ghostbusters 2. So, more people have heard about it, therefore we have to do it. Again, this is the same kind of terrible producer logic that gets franchises spinning their wheels for decades, you know. I don't like it. <laughs> I think you're being a bit mean to this movie. Well, this movie doesn't have feelings, so I don't have to worry about that. Mm, well, well... I the people that worked on it worked very hard, and I respect the creative people behind it. I just do not enjoy Ghostbusters 2016. And you do. So tell me about the reasons why you like it. So I personally, again, is, is this a perfect movie? No. Is it anywhere near as good as the original? Hell no. Like, it's got issues. Like, the villain is not great. Sometimes, you know, it maybe it is a little over-reliant on improv and it leads the script feel and story feeling not as strong particularly in the first two acts and you know it, it comes a bit, bit more together in the third um but at the same time yeah and you know maybe the character maybe not all of the characters are as well defined but at the same time i think it has a lot of consistent you know chuckles you know maybe not big laugh out loud moments but you know i laughed at a lot of you know specific lines and you know one-liners and things like that you know I love Holtzman. Holtzman is fantastic. I think Kevin's got a lot of fun bits. You know, Chris Hemsworth is great. And I I, lo I like a lot of the stuff they do with the different ghost weapons. And I like the fact that... I like it that it seems to be, for the most part, with the exception of some of the callbacks, which can feel kind of forced, I like that it feels like it's trying to do its own thing with this same idea. And the its original ideas, I think, are very creative and a lot of fun. And again, there are there are plenty of moments where I laugh. Maybe not big laugh out loud. Nowhere near as funny as the original. But, you know, it works. I feel like it's, you know, it moves along at a fairly steady clip. I find, you know, I know you've made arguments about, oh, they don't make it to the Ghostbusters until 56 minutes. And it's like... It's a really fr freaking slow movie, and it stops... Like, I think the narrative a lot just to do jokes. I feel like it moves along, you know, even though it may take that, you know, amount of time. I feel like it moves along at a fairly steady pace. Um, but, you know, that's just me. And, you know, and plus, and the other thing is, I feel like what issues it does have are things that could be ironed out by a sequel. Which is why I wish it had gotten a sequel. But because this movie didn't do particularly well at the box office... 
no, it did okay, but it didn't break even. Um, yeah. Um, my opinion on a sequel is I would like to see something with Holtzman, but I'm not especially sad that there wasn't a sequel because it looks like they were just going to be doing the Zool thing again, and that does not interest me at all. Uh, yeah, after its opening weekend, Sony's president of worldwide distribution... Uh, Roy Burr told The Wrap that while nothing has been officially announced, there's no doubt in their mind that a sequel will happen. He also said that Ghostbusters is going to become an important franchise. The important cast will get signed on for two sequels. Um, in August of 2016, The Hollywood Reporter expressed doubts about a sequel due to the film's box office performance. Uh, box office analyst Jeff Book said, I just can't fathom the creative talents behind it, Feig, McCarthy, Wig, etc. Uh, slogging out another one when the reception to the first one was so mediocre. October 2016 interview, Feig told Bustle that a sequel was not in the works, but could be possible if the film performed well in its home release. By November, Feig confirmed that a direct sequel would not be made due to the film's mediocre box office performance. So yeah, there didn't seem to be any like real plan for what the sequel is, other than probably Zool in some form or fashion. Um, yeah. Uh, I would love to see something with Holtzman. Yeah, I, I think Holtzman, <laughs> and there was a comic book series, actually. Um, yeah, that is that better? On. Uh, in December, tw- yeah, there was a six-part limited series, uh, Ghostbusters 101, which featured mm-hmm. the original Ghostbusters teaming up with the 2016 team. And there was also a five-issue limited series, uh, Ghostbusters Answer the Call, which was the alternate title for the movie, which was the continuing adventures of that team. Mm. Yeah. I have not read it, but, you know, IDW is really good at licensed comics, so I'd assume it's probably pretty good. So, what do you think about the future of this franchise with Ghostbusters Afterlife? Yeah, so, Afterlife is something I want to be looking forward to. I really do, because I like the cast. I think the shift in setting to the Midwest, I think that's a good shake-up. And... You know, and, you know, it could be good. You know, I, I, I still think it could be good. But based on that trailer, I am not really sold because I feel like, consciously or not, they looked at 2016 and they looked at the backlash of 2016 and took all of the wrong lessons and decided, well, well... Uh, the real problem with 2016 was we did too many things different and we alienated the fan base, which means for the next one, we have to go super fan service heavy and make it basically make it Ghostbusters The Force Awakens. Yeah. And I like serious like in that that trailer, this is a comedy franchise where the trailer for this movie has maybe like two attempts at a joke. The mm-hmm. first one is when Finn Wolfhard, they go under the table, and and Finn Wolfhard's like, remember that summer where we died under a table? Which I feel like is supposed to be funny, but the tone of the trailer doesn't allow me to laugh. And then the other joke is when Paul Rudd uh, is talking about the earthquake stuff. He's like, you know, in a town with no tectonic plates, no fault lines, no fracking, no loud music even. Which again, <laughs> seems like it on paper should be funny, but the self-serious tone of the trailer prevents me from laughing and it's also something where you know it feels like they missed the point of the original where you know i also rewatched uh, before this i rewatched that infamous first 2016 trailer and yeah regardless of what you feel about the humor in that trailer or the movie itself the st- the slow piano rendition of the theme song hard cutting to a vomit joke is far more in line 
with the irreverent tone of the original movie and even Ghostbusters 2 to an extent than anything in that Afterlife trailer, in my opinion. I, I would agree. Yeah. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife, it, it could be good. Uh, yeah, um, I would love to eat my words on this. I would love for Afterlife to turn out to be amazing. You know, I'm way more hardline against, you know, nostalgia and legacy pieces than, than you are. Yeah, <laughs> you and, and I say this as someone, you know, I love Force Awakens, and I love the yeah. whole Star Wars sequel trilogy, and, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm down for a lot of, you know, legacy sequels, but this mm -hmm. is just not the kind of franchise that you should really be doing it that with, at least not in this way as they're selling me in the trailer. And, you know, I could be wrong. You know, maybe there'll be a second trailer that's actually really, really funny. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah. this looks great. Um, you know, maybe the movie will come out and it'll be great. I could, I, again, that, could, that is very well possible. And I, you know, I would love to be wrong here. I would love I still like I still like your idea of turning Ghostbusters into a workplace comedy. Yeah, cuz for I me I think that would work. If Ghostbusters is going to continue at all, I feel like the movie side of things is kind of tapped out. So what you should do is you make it a TV series, you make it a workplace comedy, you bring in Michael Schur, have him circle Schur, co-creator of Office, Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, as well as the creator of The Good Place. Have Paul him work Feig would with probably the direct. Yeah, you could bring in Paul Feig to direct episodes even. And you have them work with the Reitmans and you have it be that it's a, like the Ghostbusters have gone, you know, international and there's, a, you know, different branches of the Ghostbusters, like basically like, you know, they work like the fire department or police precinct or whatever. And, you know, you have it centered on, like, say, the Philly branch and the Philly branch is like struggling. So they bring in a new boss and it's Ernie Hudson and Ernie Hudson is like the Ernie Hudson as Winston. And he's the like the one veteran cast member who's like going to be, you know, regularly on the show. You can have yeah. the other characters come up to do cameos every now and then, like Bill Murray, like does an episode or something. But, you know, for the most part, it's just a new cast and Ernie Hudson is the boss and you have sort of, you know, the day-to-day -day machinations of the office and the ghost busting. You know, you could have someone of an ongoing story, you know, put, you know, call Netflix up on this. I feel like we've got a hit here. And yeah, I, I like the idea of Ernie Hudson being the boss because I feel like in a lot of ways, Ernie Hudson in Ghostbusters 1 and 2 was kind of the neglected cast member. Yeah, I, yeah that's kind of why I went with Ernie Hudson because I want, I want Winston to finally get his due. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was our Ghostbusters discussion. Yeah, that was our Ghostbusters discussion. I hope you enjoyed it, even though, you know, we had a lot of arguments about 2016 <laughs> and Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> You finally got me to talk about Ghostbusters 2016. Yeah. Congratulations, world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, okay, even though I'm even though I'm a little disappointed that it never got a sequel, I am glad that the Ghostbusters 2016 discourse is absolutely no longer a thing because everyone's oh, not yeah. giving a shit. Like I'm glad so, that part of our lives is over. <laughs> from like 2016 to 2018, there was this weird thing where um every other day a new piece of genre media would become part of a gigantic culture war. Yeah, because it was it was because I feel like it, it was started Ghostbusters. With it was started and with then Batman the last v Jedi. Superman, really. Yeah, because it was Batman v Superman, and then it was Ghostbusters, and then it was then it was Suicide Squad along with Ghostbusters. Actually, um, I feel like this is all just um, how politically polarized our society is is being reflected onto how we consume media. Yeah, even despite it not really having. Right, it's not political, political at all. Ghostbusters 2016 right. is n not very political, and the fact that they did an all-female cast is actually one of the things I like the most about it. Yeah. You know? 
it's one of the most interesting ideas is do it again, but with women. But with and, women. you know, that changes the perspective. Granted, you I'm know? granted. I don't understand why they never were able to just do an intersex team. Like, that's true. That's weird, right? Like, especially when they were developing the, the you know, the further franchise. They were like, all right, we're going to have an all female one. And then we're going to have an all male one. And it's like, that's kind of weird. You just mix the genders like. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was the passion project of former Sony producer Amy Pascal, now part of Pascal. Now part of Pascal Pictures, who is, yes. you know, who is still working with Sony on the Spider-Man stuff. Um, yeah. Um, I think she really wanted an all female Ghostbusters because, you know, it, one, you know, it's a thing that would be great for you know women in movies theoretically but also you and, know women are funny and you know yeah and with with a it seemed like it should work generally but it's just in my opinion it didn't all work out that way and also a bunch of fucking meatheads online decided they were going to make it the thing that they're going to cry about for months yeah so. and you know at least that part of our lives is over and now we've moved on to the meatheads crying about other things like what the, do they cry about now um well they're i think they're still crying about the last jedi uh brie larson <laughs> a lot of crying about brie larson um i mean she's okay she's fine in captain marvel yeah i don't understand what's what's to hate about her well be well it's because she said that there should be film critics other than white men <laughs> what <laughs> that's true <laughs> There should be film critics other than white men. Exactly. <laughs> this is about twice as long as I was expecting to talk about Ghostbusters 2016. We got a lot to say, but uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I think this has been Hipster and the Nerd. We do this every week. Um, we hope you all have a happy Halloween, despite, you know, the COVID nonsense making it very different this year. Um and, you know, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all sorts of other platforms. Please leave us a nice five-star review. Spread the word on social media. Share it with all your friends. Hashtag hipster and the nerd. Help share us grow the show. Share it or else. Share it or, share it or, or else. Or else we'll get Zool. Or else the demons will get the demons totally do. <laughs> we'll get ghosts to sick you. Yeah, we'll and guess get... what? There's no Ghostbusters in real life, yeah. bitch. Who you're gonna call? <laughs> no one. No one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, help us grow the show. We very much appreciate it. I am Chris Hanna. You can find me at MegaNerd98 on Twitter and on Letterboxd. And Brian, where can they find you? They can find me inside their nearest containment chamber for their local ghost needs. Or you could find me at Brian Brecker on Twitter or at bbreck2. I like how in the outros, they always start sounding like an NPR person. <laughs> it's very Today, good. we're listening to Jazz with Jazz. Yeah. Double jazz. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time. Happy Halloween.